<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to episode 254 with my guest, Andrea Abbott. I'm Paul Gilmartin. This is the Mental Illness Happy Hour, a place for honesty about all the battles in our heads from medically diagnosed conditions, past traumas, and sexual dysfunction to everyday compulsive negative thinking. This show is not meant to be a substitute for professional mental counseling. It's not a doctor's office. I'm not a therapist. I'm barely a human being. Have I made that point clear? I'm a jackass that used to tell dick jokes on television while chicken simmered in the background. The website for this, and I'm not a therapist, the website for this show is uh, mentalpod.com, the newly redesigned website, Ooh, getting lots of really nice comments, and um, very, very happy that we finally got that to uh, to take place. Um, yeah, go check out the, the website, mentalpod.com. Uh, you can also follow me on Twitter at mentalpod. Um, I am in, I am considering uh, turning the, the podcast nonprofit and there's a form, uh, there are forms that you need to fill out to uh, apply for nonprofit status. Uh, one of the things I'm looking at is becoming a, um, I don't know what, what, what you even call it, but uh, another nonprofit would take me under their wing and kind of help me um, get, get the nonprofit thing going and help me with the infrastructure and stuff like that. But this stretch of time, typically the fall, especially between Thanksgiving and Christmas, my mail is piling up. Um, by the time three, four o'clock rolls around in the afternoon, my anxiety is so bad that I'm, I'm, um, I'm like holding, I have to consciously breathe and relax and my extremities start getting cold and all I want to do is crawl into bed and just get under warm blankets and have Ivy and Herbert uh, come up and and sleep with me. And I keep trying to will myself to, to fill these forms out and I know I need to do it, but it's so, I'm just, I'm stuck in this, this fall, uh, thing that it happens almost every year and uh it's so frustrating 
it's so frustrating. And um, I know there's probably more stuff I could be doing. I could be probably making an appointment to go back and see my psychiatrist, but I feel like the only thing that's going to happen now is the only options left for us are what are called atypical uh, things, similar to the Abilify, which you'd given me before and was a nightmare for me. So I feel like, do I want to roll the dice on that nightmare again with it, but with another pill? And I just, I just don't want to deal with any of this. And I'm not, I'm not, um, I'm not suicidal, but I'm definitely, I'm pro coma. Can you be that? Can you be pro coma? Just, uh, ah, it's, uh, I know you guys relate. I know you're out there, uh, shaking your head with the rope around your neck, which can be very difficult. It's, it is hard to, to shake your head. Yes. Um, stop it. And that was even too dark for me. That was even too dark for myself. Um, I'm going to read you. Oh, the The interview today um, is a fascinating interview. Uh, Andrea Abbott, um, it, it, I, don't, I don't think there's any other interview that I've done that is like this one. And it's a big one. It's uh, two plus hours. Um, and uh, I'd be really interested to, to hear what you guys think because I, I love talking to her. But uh, I, I, she's a Scientologist. And uh, I have the feeling some of you are probably, I guess what I'm saying is, is when you hear that she's a Scientologist and she hasn't left the church, give her a chance. Give her a chance. And don't judge her. There. That's what I wanted to say. I'm going to read a couple of surveys before we get to that interview. Um, and it's just all uh, struggle in the sentences today. I didn't really feel like doing any uh, shame and secrets. I know those are the tend to be the darkest and the and the, and the juicy, juiciest of the uh, the surveys but um uh this is a shame it, uh, struggle in a sentence <laughs> my brain is my brain is just not working well lately this is um filled out by Melly and she says about her depression uh, about her seasonal affective disorder. The time changes and the darkness comes. Oh, boy, do I relate to that. About her anorexia. Hunger is easier to control than emotions. About dissociative identity disorder. Which of these thoughts and feelings are mine? Uh, are the other parts of me even real? Am I making this all up? Snapshot from her life. Feeling like, feeling like I'm watching myself doing things. My feelings come from inside my body, but I'm not attached to my body. And the constant pressing need of one of my altars to make the body feel but hurting it god i can't i can't imagine how confusing dissociative identity disorder must be to to, to live with uh, this is filled up by will and um she writes uh, about her depression like i am completely frozen brain dead and unable to explain to those around me that it's not their fault. I just can't feel. Anger issues. Wanting to shove that fucker out of his chair at work when he really has done nothing wrong at all. You know, Ivy. Ivy's coming in to to, to weigh in on this one. Uh, I, I think you can shove somebody out of their chair at work. You just have to say, I'm sorry, I thought you were on fire. And then just quickly leave. 
and hope that you don't get a call from HR. HR? Yeah, human resources. Oh, judging myself already. This is filled out by Jamie jo- Jonestown, uh, and uh, he's a trans male, and about his depression, he writes, Bipolar 2, I don't want a vacation. That's too stressful. I'd rather have a coma. Amen. About uh, his alcoholism and drug addiction, uh, everyone gets an adrenaline and anxiety peak when they see a six-pack of pumpkin beer. That's just how life works. Please tell me. That's just how life works. My God, somebody does what I've been doing. There's shame. You have boundary issues. I feel guilty for hating my mom. I will be high by 4 p.m. You feel helpless. I will be in hell by 4.15. Prison was not easy, but I deserved it. I think I'm just addicted to lying. I rubbed my body in mud and I laid in the swamp. Didn't move for six hours. I looked forward to and dreaded each meal at the same time. I think I desperately, desperately wanted to talk about it, but I didn't know how to start the conversation. And that's when I, I called the suicide hotline. A good Craigslist experience is if you are alive at the end of it. So, <laughs> so. That is when I first felt love. Like, I first felt reaching out to the people and sharing with the other people. Um, this intimate connection where people do stuff for each other without wanting something in return. Yeah, I just, I surrender. I think I was 28, and that was the first time I ever experienced that, and it was amazing. I'm here with Andrea Abbott, who our paths crossed uh, when we both did Taboo Tales, um, uh, which is um, produced by former guest uh, Lorenz Sala, and um, and it's a great podcast as well, so if you've never checked that out, uh, go, listeners, go check out the Taboo Tales podcast, but um, I wanted to get you... Andrea, as a guest, um, when I heard you do one of your stories, and apparently you've done more than one Taboo Tales, and, yes. and you're chock full of interesting stories, so I'm super excited that you're here. Thank you. Um, you are a comedian, a writer. Um, you're how old? I'm 59. 59 Woo-hoo. years old. Man, you look amazing. Thank you. You look amazing. Thank you. Um, and 59 years young. We got a fly. We got a fly. A, a fly what? wants to share oh, in got, here. It's got a fan. Yeah. I brought him with me. You did. So you've me. got a very tiny entourage. <laughs> Do you remember the comedian Drake Sather? Yes. Yes. He had. Didn't he shoot himself? He did. Yeah. He did. He had one of the best jokes I've ever, <laughs> I've ever heard. He said, "I found out that I had crabs, and at first I was upset until I realized it's the closest I'm ever going to come to having an entourage." <laughs> Like, that is a that is perfect good. joke. A That's perfect a great joke. joke. That's a great joke. So, uh, Andrea, where where do we begin? Uh, give me give me the big um, the big pieces of things you've lived through, um, issues that you struggle with today, and then we'll kind of go back through and touch on each one. So, if you were if you were to describe who you are. What your issues are, what you've been through, in a couple of sentences, what would it be? Okay, well, there's so much to choose from. (laughs) Um, I am a comedian, and uh, I am, I always say, an incest comedian more than an incest survivor, because I really have leaned into comedy all my life as kind of my weapon of choice to deal with things, which is why I like this podcast so much, because you go to 
making light of something which is very healing. And uh, there was a famous um, quote once that somebody said, like, um, you tell me the truth, but make it funny. You know, mm-hmm. so as long as something's funny, I feel like you can educate people, you can whatever. So anyway. It's so, the best honey in the world. Yeah. <laughs> you can, it's the best you honey can. in the world. Yeah. Exactly. And uh, so I had a... Uh, strange childhood in that my father was very sadistic and um, um, he was also an alcoholic and my mom was a drug addict but back then this was in the 60s and um, you really didn't use those terms so much you said he was a heavy drinker and she was um, always she wasn't you know she got her drugs from doctors she was very valiumed and second all and percodan and she considered those all preventative (laughs) <laughs> like this is preventative you, medicine. You guys were a suburban postcard. Totally, totally. And especially with the stuff that went on behind closed doors. Yes, and I remember my mom used to um wake me up sometimes in the night, uh not on school nights, but on the weekend nights, um, when they went to a party, whatever, and she would crush up like a percodan with some sugar in a spoon and give it to we had five kids. But give it to us so we'd sleep in so she could get her beauty sleep. <laughs> oh, that's kind of fantastic. <laughs> she was very fantastic. My mom was like a movie star without a movie. Do you know what I mean? She, <laughs> she would always talk. She looked kind of like Anne Margaret. Uh-huh. She was really pretty, huge green eyes and these big boobs and very like, she always spoke in a whisper and she called me sis. Sis? Sis? sis. Yeah. Like sister? Yeah, I don't know what that is. But with just I, you or everybody? Uh, no, no, just with me. But um, I thought that was odd. But now that I watch The Voice, like, addictively, I hear Blake Shelton say, sis, come on, sis, come on. So maybe it's a Southern thing, but mm. we weren't Southern. So I don't know. But anyway, sis, come on, honey, let's dance. And uh, just always have her sunglasses on in the morning and her robe. And she took so and she drank a lot too. She found doctors that um would prescribe her several things and she loved drinking and she was like Judy Garland but did not sing. You know, like she just <laughs> um but so she was very suicidal my mom and um I have got some things on funny or die about it but uh she always said it was the one thing that kept her going was the concept of suicide. And she went through elaborate plan after elaborate plan of... Um, In other words, the just knowing there was an exit kept her going? Or what do you mean? It kept, I, it kept her going. She just... It was like a hobby that she had found interest in and it was like some like you have this wood making i don't know what you call it furniture making that i'm sure gives you solace coming up with ways to off herself was really um like her hobby that and collecting condoms from different places that they went to what <laughs> insane i come from a lot of insanity paul i come from a lot of insanity. so she i mean she bought a condo once this is later on after i was grown up she bought a condo once to um jump off of because it was nine stories high and it was in san diego and it was a it was a fabulous um, (laughs) investment and the perfect height and just and she would tell you these things yes i can't wait till escrow closes sweetie because i can't take it anymore i feel like i'm doing maria vamper but i'm not but my can do my mom and um then she didn't. You know, she never would. Uh, no, I can't. I can't. I talked to my insurance. They will not pay if I kill myself. <laughs> I guess they're afraid everyone will do it. And 
Oh, my God. I just, she bought a town, uh, this pretty burgundy pantsuit and a matching town car to, like, gas herself in and then just, like, got too um, impatient to wait for that and just kind of wandered back in the house and watched a Julia Roberts movie. She just... She didn't follow through, you know, suicide like anything else. I mean, I don't want to joke about it with anybody that's suicidal, but my mother was very suicidal and my way of dealing with joking. I I don't want to make light of it for someone, but my mother used to wake me up all the time, as I'm sure anybody with a suicidal parent had, because my mom would, you know, the nighttime was the hard time. You ever um, remember that cool play and... um, I think they made it a movie, Long Day's Journey and Tonight. Mm-hmm. That's my mother. Um, just, you know, as the night goes on, like you have to get she away by darker midnight, and darker. darker and darker and darker. And then I was always, my job was, she would wake me up in the middle of the night, sweetie, I'm going to kill myself. And I just want you to take out my contacts when you see me. I cannot wear those for eternity. What are you going to do when you find mommy and dad? And I'm like, I'm taking out your contacts. Like, mom. You're and just- how old were you at this point? Um... Well, how old were you the first time she told you she was going to kill herself? Like many of the people that you've heard, my life's a little blotchy. Do you know what I mean? I yes. want to go nine, but it could have been seven. It went on for a while. It went on. I mean, for her whole life, I have I she's have not her long, suicide a, a message on my phone that she left me. Um, she did, She's no longer with us. Did she? commit suicide well funny enough no but i have (laughs) (laughs) she always left me messages and um it got to the point that i just kind of fast forwarded through them just like your mom called and i'm gonna go to the pool you know but i had this assistant at one time and she was like your mother called and i can't make out what she's saying but i think it's bad and so i i was like oh no that's just she's just it's just a suicide message. It's nothing. Who else called, you know? And she was like, you have to save that. Wonder if she dies. So then I saved it. It was back when we had those little mini cassettes. Remember that? Mm-hmm. And I saved it. And then later on, I did a piece about it. But she then just died of natural causes of alcohol and drugs. And um, what is that called? Cirrhosis of the liver? Well, yeah, but it was something else. The fabulous version of it? Yeah, like liver failure or whatever. Mm. It's called a liver parade. The liver parade. When you're fabulous and your liver gives out. With confetti. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, so so that was always going on. And so then, um, so then. What do you you remember thinking or feeling um, when you were little and your mom would say these things to you? What would you... What would you think or feel, and even physically, what would you feel in your body when she would say these things? I went through a pattern because in the beginning, I was very scared. And I don't know if that's the reaction she was looking for or not. I don't really know why she was telling me. I guess it, I woke up, you know, like whoever she could jostle awake. But um, in the very beginning, I'd be like, Mom, you're scaring me. She was like, you scaring you? You're no, you don't have to die. How do you think I feel? You know, she would just... What a narcissist. My mother, that... My mother was a narcissist she was really that and she what came off as evil sometimes but um and so forth but i really think that she just like church you know you always say you were raised catholic i went to catholic school and you know mass five days a week at school and then on sunday and so um we would go every weekend to mass because you if you don't go you're going to hell. So um, 
that was also a lot of pressure on me because my dad wouldn't go, so he was going to hell. So you, you know what I mean? My dad like, was the same way. He never went. Yeah, and so you're just like, oh my god, he's he's going to hell, and you're like this little narc of like, dad, you know, you, I brought you this missile. You should read this, and um, plus you're smoking, so you're going to die, and then you're going to go to hell, and we're never going to see you. And um, anyway, uh, but we would always arrive late for mass. Because it was really fashion showy to my mother. you know she, she wanted to make an entrance. She made an entrance, plus she had her five kids, plus we would all be wearing what she ever's wearing. It's like God gave points for matching. Lavender, look at the family in lavender. And I hated my brothers, but I felt sorry for them in their little lavender pants. And we'd walk up, and then she would just walk up to the front like there was space and get some kind of plain-looking man and wife to squish down and make room for all of us. Excuse me, excuse me. And I think she didn't notice them you know i don't think she meant to be i just think it was like everybody's of course i'm supposed to be in front i'm supposed to be in front and we were like her little entourage and you don't mind your children sitting on your laps and your wife like like squished in and i would just look and try to make eye contact with the person like i'm so you know my you know try to convey everything with like one look like my mom (laughs) doesn't mean to be rude she just doesn't know you exist so was she flirty with men uh i don't recall that so much but she was always you know boobs hanging boobs akimbo uh genite and red Mm -hmm. lipstick you know blood red that was her color and from a distance it really looked like her lips were bleeding she was just very you know remember that marilyn monroe look where your hair is Mm -hmm. platinum and your that was my mother and she would have like enough cleavage so that we could cut in front of people in the line to get her prescriptions. Excuse me, excuse me, I need to get this. So she she her power she derived her power from her her sexuality. I guess so, yeah. I think she considered herself. She often said things that were like, you know, I'm just too <laughs> when she was like 70 or something, <clears throat> which is when she died, but I don't know, 68 or whatever. When Angelina Jolie came on the scene, she related to her completely. <laughs> What did she say? She's like, you know, it's so hard for her. I know how that is. <laughs> <laughs> to be so intimidating that you can't have friends because, you know, you're distracting. And then, you know, it's like, mom, that's not <laughs> But she just assumed that. Um, anyway, she was a character. Now I think of her as a gift because the gift that keeps on giving because I can write to those type of characters and so forth. I did feel like I, I feel like I have achieved making lemonade out of the lemons of my yeah. thing. But big anyway, go- that, big gorgeous lemons. Thank you. Big, gorgeous lemons. But <laughs> she was a character. Paul, yeah. you would have liked to know. Oh, her. I would have been fascinated by her. I would have followed her around the grocery store. Right? Just, you know, the like, comic in me just yes. stenographing. Is that even a oh, word? Well, you know, the, taking shorthand. Let me tell you one of my favorite yeah. jokes that she said to me. Okay, for you, mm-hmm. for you to know this joke, everybody has to know I'm a Scientologist, and I have for 33 years. Or and I want to talk about that, too. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, at this time, so I've been a Scientologist all these years and still am, but at this time, I'm in between marriages. I've been married four times. Happily married, the fourth time's the charm. Anyway, I'm in between marriages, and I'm trying to adopt these two black children. Mm-hmm. And so my mother says, sweetheart, you're a divorced, middle-aged cult member living in the valley. <laughs> <laughs> you need two black kids like you need a hole in your head. 
<laughs> and did the adoption go through? Uh, no, that yeah. did not. But I have since adopted two kids. Oh, that's since, great. Since every since she passed on, mm-hmm. all doors have opened. <laughs> oh my god! But anyway, I don't mean to mock her. She's funny, and um, I know back to the you know back to the seminal moments. There's so many seminal moments, but well, you know. Well, before we get to that, I want to I want to clear the Scientology air because I'm sure a lot of people listening to this, as soon as they hear that, dun 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 dun, yeah, <laughs> you know, and myself included, when when uh, Loren uh, mentioned that because um, she put us in contact with each other, yeah, and she even though we'd met, yeah. I, I needed your info, and um, she said you should also talk to her about uh, being a Scientologist because she has a very good sense of humor about yes. it, and. And, um, I did a taboo tale about it. Yeah. And it's on YouTube. You can look it up if you want to. About how I got in, personality tests and all. So <laughs> how do you reconcile um, all this stuff? Did you watch the documentary, Going Clear? I didn't, but I've read. I've, 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 I kind of keep abreast. Okay. But I have four kids and three jobs and okay. volunteer. So I'm just like, and chickens. I have nine chickens. Oh so God. anyway, so I have a busy life, but I try to keep abreast of the things that they so, say and everything. So how do you, rec- as, a, as a person who strikes me as, as spiritual, how do you, you reconcile yourself with the things, uh, the allegations, which seem very based in fact, that the upper echelon of the Scientologists um, seem to be very unethical and manipulative and cruel? Well, um, you know, I can only speak for myself, but I really feel for just myself that I was a very bad drug addict when I got in Scientology, and I was 40 pounds less than I am now. So Wow, you were... Very thin. (laughs) I was anorexic. I struggled with that since I was 13, and I don't really know if anorexia goes with incest, but it did for me. I think it, it, it... I'm, it's not unusual, certainly, to see the two paired because it's a sense of control, right? Yes, a- anorexia is about control. It, you know, it wasn't so much from. Yes, it is absolutely about control, but it was also a way that I felt more safe, boyish. I see. The more boyish, I mean, I had no period, I had no boobs, I had no. I mean, I, I, you know, you wouldn't want to have sex with me. Look at me, I, I'll fall apart. Um, I look in my baby books that my mother kept up religiously. I, um, and you can really see the difference between when I was ten and then eleven, or let's just say nine before it started, and then you cut to like eleven, twelve, thirteen. You're just like, like, what happened to her? So, um, especially since when I was little, I was pretty cute. Plus, my mom put tons of makeup on me. I was not. John Bonet, but almost. <laughs> I was about to say. <laughs> I was like, you know, your father's coming home. Let's put a little. She would take her lipstick and rub it in and put blink, 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 put your mascara on. And later on, when I was looking at my baby books, that's when I really realized that I was like, God, Mom, why do I have so much makeup on? And you know what she said? I'm like, why do I have makeup on? You really needed it, honey. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. You needed it, sis. You were very pale. So. Um, anyway, so when you rolled into the, Scientology, Scientology yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So it saved my life. I okay. would be uh, definitely a stripper slash hooker slash prostitute. Um, not to put any strippers down to say you're all those, but I probably would have gone down that path. 
and I'd be a dead one. You would have been somebody who was doing it uh, for survival, not because of a sense of empowerment. Because there are some sex workers <laughs> who say they do enjoy it and they exactly. get a sense of so empowerment. I can't speak for them. Yeah, at and they're all. not doing it. But I was also a drug addict, so yes. I was doing it for drugs. Yeah, <laughs> that's how I was doing it for drugs. And if anything else came out of it, great. But I just wanted drugs, and I just wanted to. So you uh, you did uh, prostitute yourself for drugs, or well, I mean, what well, I mean. Not really like I'm on the corner, but I got my car, I got my fur coat, I had an attack dog. This is what I was, when I came into Scientology, I was like an 86-pound, 5'8 girl in velvet oh pants. God. Right? Picture that. 86 pounds? 86 pounds. 86 pounds. And my goal, every time I would, I mean, if anybody is dealing with this, and I, you know, I started out, I think my most I... I mean, when it started really kicking in, I was like, I was like 110 and uh, 5'8". And uh, then I was like, oh, 110. You know, I need to be 107. And then once I had 107, 99, I can't be these three digits. You know, all that, that just get um, to me. I, I don't want to speak for anybody else, but for me, I just got number oriented, like, okay, 99, then uh, 90s. Oh my God, 90s. I could never take a win. Like, all right, you did it. Let's have a <laughs> donut. No. And then by the time I got in Scientology, I was eating nine bites a day. Nine bites is what I would have. And on a day that I had like, I don't know, nine bites of a hard boiled egg, um, the next, like, like if I, if I like, uh, ate as much as that, the next day I would go to nine sunflower seeds to not make sure not to gain weight from like that egg and a half that you ate with your nine bites. So how long was I going to live? And so I was hospitalized a lot at St. Uh, John's and um, in Santa Monica where I later had a child, which was amazing. But uh, I was on the way out. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I was, uh, so I know you asked me about the, the um the people in charge so so, so yeah. but, but scientology worked for for, me, for you for for, me, for overcoming I, your addiction and your eating disorder and my eating disorder and okay. also also uh i mean i kind of had it layered like i really just thought i had a drug problem but then when the drug problem was way to go oh yeah i that's right i don't eat and then when that went away it was like oh yeah but i don't want any guys to look at me or i don't want to have i don't want to I would never, that's why I made that little rape joke. And I would have never walked up here with you. I would have not been, uh, you know, I was not around people. And if people made eye contact, what's he looking for? I had so many internal thoughts in my mind that I wasn't great at having a conversation. Look at me blabbing around now. But I, um, it's, it, if you ask me a question, I'd have so many well, maybe I could say, it, you know, and that could remind me. And I'd be ping-ponging thoughts so that I would be like, uh, it's hard for me to keep up with you, you so, know. So it, it was it <clears throat> was it difficult to keep up because you were wondering what's their angle, what's the angle I should have to protect myself, to to not be taken advantage all of. All of that, and all of that, and then other voices, you know, like and then and well, why would you think he would want you? Da, 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 da. Well, maybe there's that. Well, you shouldn't think that. You know, the back and forth, this debate, this team, this choir, this Mormon tabernacle choir of opinions that uh i don't really believe any of them were really mine but they were things i had stored and things i had gotten um 
from Catholicism, which was hard on me. Um, for my grandmother was a fantastic Catholic and the poster child, and she really steered her boat with the principles of Catholicism. And I know many people get um, a benefit from it, so I'm not interested in putting that down. But for me, maybe because I was already around death and um, of my mom and incest and um, don't tell anybody and blah, 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 all that stuff that um, I took away, we're going to hell, we're all going to hell. And also God doesn't care about anything unless, except for these commandments. You know, if you did good on your test, he doesn't care. Is Did you do a sin? And I knew I had totally sinned. I was a total sinner and I couldn't confront going to confession and saying, oh, I'm having sex with my father, you know, and you feel bad about doing that. You're complicit in the fact that you're not doing something. My dad was six four, and uh, all that, but still, you don't feel uh, you don't you feel guilty in some aspect. Not maybe not a hundred percent, but some aspect. And it's all hard to confront that you're going to tell this guy that you see speak up there about, oh, yeah, by the way, plus you don't want to get your parents in trouble, plus your mother, dad said not to tell, and my mom's suicidal if she found out. You know, it was all these dominoes, like what would happen, and then what would happen? So I my my solution was to just, you know, keep your mouth shut. Starve yourself and get high. Boom. You got it. Let's go. I mean, just <laughs> but, listening to you share all that, I, I, I want to go. You want to do it yourself. I want to go shoot heroin into my eye and <laughs> eat an entire pizza. Oh, my God. Um, but um, anyway, back to the uh, documentaries and articles. And this is what I think. This is what I say. First of all, I'm I'm – what I found out after I did some counseling in Scientology and got rid of all my hateful thoughts towards others and myself, I think those kind of are married. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. The more you you put people down to the degree that you also put yourself down, there. there's some mm-hmm. there's some relationship there. Oh, I think it's totally right? a direct connection. Yeah. I yeah. think 99% of hatred is projection yes. of, of what we are struggling with in exactly. ourselves. Exactly. So when I got over that, I really... Um, and over my fixation on death and also an intense, I would just say, apathy. I know here I hear a lot of people say numbness, and that also applies. But apathy of like, I don't care. I don't care if I die. So it doesn't matter to me when a doctor is saying, you know, you... You need to eat. Yeah, and they, they bypass you. You know, they put those needles in your arms and give you um, sugar water and whatever else is there. And you're just like, ah, I'm going to get fat. And he's yelling. You know, he's not yelling. He's being a passionate man saying you're going to die. And I'm looking at the vein on his neck going, God, that vein just keeps... You know, I'm like, mm. like what? <laughs> it's just not hitting me. It's like it's a screen. It's not hitting me. So I ha- I just touched the mic. That's right. Okay. I... um. I had a lot of that. So to come out of that. So it sounds like dissociated, like you were just dissociated from your life. Like I often describe it as when I was at my worst or get at my worst, I feels like there's plexiglass between me and my life. And like I'm just viewing it. Uh, yeah. Like a ghost, like I'm a, I'm a ghost in my own life. Yeah, I'm a, yeah, ghost is great. I feel like a spectator, like I'm just watching yeah. it, like, oh, pass the popcorn. Yeah. <laughs> What's coming up next? <laughs> what? Is she going to fuck that guy? And gets it? Oh, no, she's not. She's running away. <gasps> she looks pretty weak. I don't think she's going to get far. 
<laughs> Will you give me a raisinette? Uh, but that's how I felt. But, but you know, I'm humorous now, but there was no humor. <laughs> I'm smiling now and so forth, but I didn't have that then. So I keep coming back to the point. But anyway, so when I got rid of all that, I um, thought, wow, I uh, really have uh, I'm a lucky girl and I have a lot to live for and I'm going to try to matter in some way and maybe use these stories through jokes, through talking. So I think, you know, I'm in my business. I'm with a lot of Jewish people. And um, so somebody says, what do you think about that documentary? What do you think about that article or that um, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah? What do you know? There's been several things. And um, I just say, I'm not wild about it, but... What the fuck? I mean, I admire Jewish people because usually their families are together. The parents are not fucking the children. The mothers are not drug addicts. Maybe they have a guilt thing or whatever, but they're not like my family. And they fucking tried to eliminate all of Jewish people for what reason? So until somebody tries to eliminate all the Scientologists, I would be a pussy to complain about, oh my God, a documentary. (laughs) What am I going to do? I think it's America and you're... You're welcome to tell your tale, and that's what makes our country great. So I just don't focus on, you know, that's that person's perspective. Mm-hmm. I have my perspective, but I don't like to complain about a little article or. So it, then it's it would be fair to say that you take what helps you from Scientology and just kind of leave the rest and say, you know, this is. Well, I haven't no not necessarily that I haven't had that experience. You know, I was on staff working on a staffer in this in the um Celebrity uh, building. 87 to 89 and that was fun I, I had fun and uh, I know lots of people that are on staff so it's not real to me but at the same time um, I just feel like I'm not trying to everybody's I feel like one of the things that unites all of us is that even though we're going about it in a different path, we all have the goal to be as best as we can and help others. And Mm -hmm. this has been a path for me and you have your path and, but we have more in common than we have apart. Right. So that's what, okay. That's me. So I, I, you know, as I was sitting here um, debating (laughs) on, you know, how, much of a point do I make? Because when I watched the, the Going Clear documentary, I was outraged. And I was like, this this is terrible. This is um, widespread. Uh, this is assuming that the, the documentary is yes, true, which yes. I assumed it, it it to be when I, when I watched it. But as you were talking to me, I thought, you know, this isn't really that different than the pedophile scandal in the Catholic Church. It doesn't... Even though a lot of people would say, well, Scientology is way nuttier and cultier than than the Catholic Church. You know, the spaceship and Zuba and I don't know who, who all the... the Yeah. You know, the... I hear about when, all when these I'm, things. I yes. hear about people bringing those up. Um, but it's... I suppose it's really not that different than um, a lot of religions that have... That are based in kind of fantastic myths and uh, have eg- egregious abuses of power at the top of the hierarchy. Well, I also think that, uh, you know, I love President Obama. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. I have. I, I was waiting to say this for our loves. <laughs> okay. But um, it's not just him. I have a, a love, and I mean. Uh, and I hope I'm not insulting love. you. No, you're with not. These you're absolutely. Okay. I feel good about talking about it. I mean, okay. I, you know. Um, uh, and, I and Loren told me that you make fun of the whole spaceship thing of. Oh yeah, because I Scientology. Make, but but there, I don't know of myself. I don't know of a spaceship thing. I made a fun of, of it because people think of it. But I have never read about a spaceship. Okay. I'm not a spaceship type person. I don't even like science fiction at all. Like I didn't watch. Um, Star Trek or any of that. Uh, my kid, one of my kid sons likes it, and we had to go. There's a thing that you go through in Vegas, and I was like, oh, my God. this is." Mm-hmm. <laughs> but people really get into that. But anyway, um, um, I have a love of black people, like beyond, more than white people, more than any other people. And and I, I, I don't know where it comes from except for that I identify that way. I've adopted my kids that way. I volunteer at Compton High. Go Compton if anybody's listening. And or Morningside in Inglewood. If there's a homeless white guy and a homeless black person on the street, I will give my money to that black person and not have, I could pass a white person or like a kid, I'd be like, oh, that's too bad. A black person, like, oh, what's happening? It's mm-hmm. so bizarre, isn't that? When you see me and all, but so that's an interesting love I have, but I'm bringing it up for a reason. Do you like Obama? Where did you vote for him? I liked him when I first voted for him, and I try to avoid politics uh, on the on the show because I it can be such yes. a divisive topic, yes. and I want the show to unite people yes. more than anything. Um, I I was excited when I voted for him um, the first time, but he's okay. greatly let me down in many, many ways. Okay. Uh, well, let me say this. Um, uh, well, I love him. Mm-hmm. and uh, But, you know, when he first came on the scene and the re- Republican people did not like him, they went right for, he's <laughs> he's not even from this country. Let's he's Kenyan. He's a Muslim. But the way you bring something down is you go for the leader. Mm-hmm. If you go for the leader, that's how they try to bring Democrats down. And the same, down, you know, it's a, mm-hmm. everybody does it, Democrats, Republicans. We're like putting George Bush down. They're, they're putting Hillary down. Everybody can put it, the leaders down. And I think that's the reason that documentary uh, is interesting because I have been in Scientology so long. I was in Scientology when Hubbard was alive, and they would attack him. And now he's gone. So then you attack the top and hope that it will crumble. Mm-hmm. And it's more that reality to me that if it's you want to attack someone whose name you know, you want to attack mm-hmm. a higher up. So I I feel it's um it's whatever. It's not real to me, but. And it's a little different in the Catholic thing because those guys, I think some of those people have been prosecuted and admitted it and so forth and like into a court of law. And nothing has happened in that way in Scientology. But I think there have been attempts to do it. And maybe attempts. Yeah, and I think the, according to the documentary, the legal team, the Scientology legal team, then kind of did a 180 on the IRS and was get, going to expose a ton of stuff about IRS workers. And so the IRS dropped it that's that's the allegation that the documentary right, makes document, is that yeah. it's in other words it's almost like a legal blackmail like oh you want to come after us for but i mean uh, imagine you're be able to go against the like yes i'm taking down the government if you come after me yeah. pretty great legal team they <laughs> yeah. have but anyway i um i have been helped by it and i'm not the spokesperson of, by any means but um i feel like i'm definitely 
um, here telling jokes because I, I got a, a sense of, um, he has a cool quote says, never accept an invitation to hate. That's harder to do. Who says that? that Hubbard. Yeah. You know, just love your fellow man despite all reasons that you shouldn't. And that really helped me because I had a lot of hate for myself, first of all. So when I put that to bed, so to speak, then I had to like, uh, find it in my heart to not hate my father and see like where he was at and then my mother. And I've just applied that, um, throughout and I'm happier to think that we're all trying our best in whatever ways we found that have worked for us. And that, you know, it's like when we were growing up Christian, like, why is a Baptist against it and Methodist against it? Like, these people could all unite and be like a huge force, but they don't. They're like, oh, you go on Sunday. We go on Saturdays. You're out. I hate you. I think they could go, yeah, we both believe in Jesus. We all believe that. Let's get together. But some reason we kind of focus on what's not alike rather than alike. And I try to do the opposite. That's why I like your podcast, because here you are promoting things that I don't do, but I like the fact that you have such a obviously sincere interest in helping people and obviously sincere way you communicate with your guests. And I've got like 27 friends who have been on the podcast and I just, it's addicting. <laughs> I'm addicted to your, it's, you know, true stories of uh, hope are, are insightful and inspiring wherever they come from. So I come from Scientology, but I really don't want to be the spokesperson about where does it stand on everything. It's helped me and the people I know. So that's where I sit on that. Well, thank you. Thank you for, for saying that. I, I yeah. would have felt remiss if I didn't bring it up. Didn't bring it up because, yeah. you know, there's a part of me that wants to protect my guests from any type of criticism. And I suppose there's an egotistical um, part of me doing that because I choose who I record to yes. come on the podcast. Yes, yes. And I feel like if people criticize my guests, then that's going to Affect make me you. look like a bad pro- a bad producer. Um, but I, I felt like I would have been remiss if I didn't bring it up because when I watched that documentary, it brought up brought up some really really strong feelings um, in me, some very strong negative uh, feelings. Well, it probably. But, Sounds like it achieved what it wanted yeah, to achieve. Uh, but, it, but it also, I, I also understand that um, there are things that can save our lives sometimes that are maybe in a, in a gray area that, you know, maybe somebody helps us who is a person who is maybe kind of good and kind of bad, but... They, you know, like when you had Jenny Pentland on and mm-hmm. she was like, I was hospitalized by this horrible psychiatrist that kept me in there for my her good um, insurance. She said I have the caviar. Yeah. But then she met another therapist that later helped her. There is I, I feel like whenever you use a generality, it never really works out right. Like, mm-hmm. oh, Mexican people are this way, you know. But, so I just try to go person by person. That's why I like you, because I think you're a cool person. You know, I don't really um, do the path you're on, but I love the fact that you're helping people and inspiring people, and I'm hoping that you're seeing that part of me. I I, I am. I okay. definitely am. Okay, cool. Um, so where – give me some snapshots uh, from from childhood. Um, uh, well, um, there's – you know, um, 
We've had the, my father. Yeah, yeah, and I I don't know. Uh, you know, I never have. A, I've never talked to another person who had that, so I don't know. Uh, but I used to have this thing of like. You've never talked to another person who experienced incest. Is that what you're yeah, saying? Never. I'm never ever? like chat. Uh uh-uh. uh. No. I do. Let's do it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So I had this thing of like, I always had this uh, plan that if a burglar came in my room, I will close my eyes and pretend I'm sleeping until they go so they won't kill me. Did you have that plan? No, I never thought about a burglar coming coming into into my bedroom. Oh, when I was a kid. But I have always had the fear that if people get mad at me, that it's going to lead to physical violence. And I don't know why that is, because I didn't grow up in a physically violent house. But I get very um, nervous when people get uh, confrontational and loud. Confrontational. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe because my family was so quiet and voices weren't raised that that often. I don't know. I don't know. We we had that. We had a very my dad. I have a comedy piece on Funny or Die called "I'd Rather Be Raped," and um, because my brother had so many physical violent things that happened to me, and I had so many physical violent things that I feel like <clears throat> if I had to like gun at your head, okay, you're gonna get a, a kick dance. My dad used to do. Or be raped. I would absolutely pick rape because it's it, it doesn't hurt as much and it's over. You know, my dad had this thing where it was called a hair dance. He would hold your hair and kick you till he only had your hair. So your hair's coming out. You know, that's really painful. What? That was one of his, um, you know, punishments. He was. Uh, my father was very, very um, sadistic and. So that's why I feel like compared to what happened to some of my brothers, I got off easier. Were you the only one that was being uh, raped or uh, molested? What, I what, don't what, know. What I word would know. you use to describe? Um, blowjobs and a little bit of intercourse and just uh, some molestation. Um and and it went on for how many years? Like about a year and a half to two years. And what what stopped it? Well, uh, what stopped it was, you know, as, as I said, my mom was very suicidal, so I didn't want to burden her with this. And uh, so um, we 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 changed rooms, and my little sister, who was eight years younger at this time, was sleeping in my room. That's the new sleeping arrangements because my mom had another child. And so my dad came in and uh, so but she's in there and he made we had those sliding glass uh, sliding uh, wooden closet doors. Remember those mm-hmm. that always went off the track and everything. Mm-hmm. So my dad kind of stumbled in and and hit the door. And so he, he made some noise with our sliding doors. And um, Elise was like, oh, what's that? And I was, I, I was like, it's dad. And um, then we just both started screaming. So we screamed. I was eating cake that night before bed. So I had that there. And uh, my dad, like, got himself together to get out of the room and go away. And then he ran, went down the hall and passed out on the ground, face down. And I had my fork, and um, that was plastic. But I was stabbing him in the back with my fork because I just. So you followed him out of the room. I followed him out of the room. <clears throat> this is after everything. This is aftermath. You know, this wasn't just after when a he, year and a half of. No, this is 
he had been in the room for a while when he when he was getting up to leave and leaned back into the door and woke up my sister. But what I'm saying is, is yes, you had been... Yes, this was a year and a half after. after. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so my mom woke up, which is a feat because she took so many sleeping pills, as I said. She was a heavy sleeper. <laughs> and... Uh, Did she descend from a circular staircase? No, no, down? we didn't have... We have a ranch house in Fresno. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> Where Jeffrey Dahmer lived. That was our big thing. Oh, that's real exciting. Um, but um, she woke up and she thought I was very... She thought I was going bonkers on my dad because I was upset because I'd never seen him drunk before. And I did not understand at that time that someone could, I didn't know what blackout was. And I definitely didn't know what, I thought he was sleeping, pretending to sleep. Mm -hmm. And I knew that wasn't the case. And I guess because of the screaming with my sister and the kind of little ragey thing I had going on, uh, I just lost it. So I'm stabbing him in the back with a fork. And, uh, all I want to do is make jokes as I tell you this, but I don't calm that down. So, uh, well, well, let me ask you before you go any further. What do you? What feelings is it bringing up in you that you that you want to go, go, go the humor route? Are you uncomfortable right now? No, but this? I just, I just, I'm just used to. You know, you don't say you say three sentences and then where's the punchline? You know yeah. what I mean? It's like okay. you gotta, you have a. But anyway, so my mom was very upset. Like, honey, I just wanted. She took me into her room, and was like. Sis, you know, sometimes people drink too much. And I was like, no, that's not it. You know, we had seen him drunk for forever. But I, so then I just blurted it out. And then my mom was like, in what did shock. you say? He comes in the room. He comes in the room and he is with me. I don't know the words exactly. Mm. I, she got the idea. I said, whatever, we have sex, something. I said, I don't really remember the exact. I just remember that my mom was, I remember her face and she was like in shock. And I didn't, I felt like, and she was being very comforting. Um, did she put down her cigarette holder? No, she didn't smoke. <laughs> she didn't, my dad smoked. She didn't smoke. She was allergic. I'm allergic, sweetheart. Um, she was like holding me and like upset and uh, and like like patting me and I was very much in shock the next day when I was packed up and moved out of the house. What? That was my mom's solution. And um I was just I felt very comforted by her. And actually, I mean when she was holding me that night. But uh so back in Fresno in 1966 or Five at the time, we had a uh, black woman who we went through a ton of them because my, now I found out later because my father was try, molesting them. That's why everybody quit. But anyway, we had this wonderful black woman who lived with this name Pearl, and I went to live with Pearl and her daughter Ruby, and um, I was just like, I don't know if there was a foster system then, but. I don't know if my mom was maybe thinking of me. I don't know. Probably not. But it was really wonderful. Well, I think we you you were wondering where your fondness for black people comes I from. Was, <laughs> it's like I think I think we, not that black people aren't wonderful, but uh, you know they you were saved saying, my life. Yeah, I feel more comfortable around black people than I do. Like if you were black and we were walking up here, I'd be like, when I used to get scared, this is even when I was a drug addict, mm -hmm. um, like on Hollywood Boulevard at night doing other things, um, I would always look and find 
okay, there's a black person. So if something goes down, that's where, that's my go-to. Mm-hmm. You know, you're going to find that person to run to. So that's been the so way. So that was your first island. That was that your was first, island first island from the yeah. from the storm. Yeah. And y'all, let me tell you what my mom told me after I she picked me up from Pearl's. You know, Pearl, I, I went to school and everything. I just would come back to Pearl's. And, um, oh, what's so great? First of all, they talk. They're, they, they, they express emotion. They go, it's a louder household. Ours is very quiet and, you know, you know, all that. And they're just like, girl, da, da, da. You know, mm-hmm. the cousins would come around. It was like a big, big family. We, my mother was an only child. Lots of laughter, probably. Oh, food, too. My mother every morning would burn her tongue with coffee. And it was one of my jobs on the weekends to get her a coffee so she could drink it and burn the inside of her mouth to take a taste buds away. And we worked. What? Yeah. She wanted to burn her yeah. taste buds? Yeah. So she could not, you know, they're not going to get me now, those little taste buds, you know. So she could, you maintain oh your figure. Oh, my God. You have to watch your figure if you don't. No one else will. Sweetie. You know what I'm saying? Do you really want a piece of bread? I, I, where does my anorexia come from? <laughs> but at Pearl's house, we were having bread that sopped in this, that you could just wipe up the bottom of your plate. It was just, ah, oh. and, and cousins, my mom and dad were only children. We had nobody. Nobody came to our house. Um, and, and there was people coming in. They had bones. Have you ever heard of bones? You know what that is? Mm-hmm. It's dominoes, but they would hold them yeah, up um anyway and you slap them down and it was just so fun and freeing and food and people and laughing and yelling and singing and uh it was super cool and i didn't have to wear any nobody's putting makeup on me i didn't have my own room i slept on the couch which would have made me very comfortable like i'm not no there's not like a door that's turning it's like i don't have a door this is so much better I, there's no privacy privacy was not a good thing for me you know someone sneaking in your own room all that stuff was scary in my house so i loved being at pearls but um that was a seminal moment when my mom picked me up uh and how long did you live with pearl i don't remember but mm-hmm. months, a matter of months, okay. like three months, four months, maybe six months at the most. Mm-hmm. I don't think so. I think three or four months, but it was super fun. And um, my mom wanted me to come back home. And um, I mean, she picked me up. So and I didn't really want to go. And she was very forcible about if you don't if you don't talk to your father, you're going to turn into a lesbian. So you need to. <laughs> your your mom is currently the front runner for craziest mom in the history of the podcast. Well, wait till you hear what she said to me in the car. This is my mom. This is an example of narcissism. Sweetie, I only hope that when you grow up, you don't marry a man who has sex with your daughter. Because I do not want you to go through the pain that I've been through. <laughs> And I massage you, sweetheart, when we have sex now, my vagina stings like a thousand bees are stinging it. And I am rubbing her hand and we're going home. And I'm, it's okay, mommy, it's okay. And that is my mother. I am so sorry. I am so sorry, Andrea. That is among, that is some of the worst abandonment I have ever, ever heard. It is heartbreaking. Thank you. I don't know why I'm saying that, but that's, again, I'm going to give a plug for black people. What I love about it, I'm like, my mom was like, loving my mom was like a cloud going by, you know, 
she just hardly ever noticed you. But a black mother would just be like, Stan, remember, uh, Pearl was telling her son, don't go out, don't be messing with those hoes, you know, and you come back, if you know, and he went out, she's like, don't come to me when your dick falls off. You know, she was like putting it out there and blah, blah, blah. And girl get in here, I'm like, what's a hoe? And she's like, girls who have nasty girls who have sex for money, child. And I was like, oh my God, like me. But I didn't even get any money. I ha- I'm just... I am a hoe uh, for nothing. So, but I just... And you never told Pearl. She did. She never Oh, knew. Pearl knew exactly what was going on. Oh, she Pearl did? Pearl knew exactly what was going on. When I moved back to my house, I slept with Pearl the five nights a week she stayed at our house. I was not leaving her side. What did that feel like, sleeping with her? Wonderful. Amazing, what because... Did it, what did it feel like in your, in your body to... Oh, well, she's warm. It's just a person like... My mom was like a... Um, like, I mean, if you could imagine if you had Marilyn Monroe for a mother, like, what is that going to be like? It's fun to look at her. And she was pretty, so you were proud to be, that's your mom or whatever. But there was no love. And this Pearl and Ruby and, and, and you know, it's just like you have a, a tiger. You're sleeping with a tiger. And if someone comes, they will fucking kill for you. And they were going to go down for you. So that's why I love black people. And that's why I think Obama is great. <laughs> so, and that's why I adopted the son that I had. And that's why my mother said I needed a black child. Like I needed a hole in my head. <laughs> but I adore black people and gay people. You know, I have my, those are guys. If I had to pick favorite people, I really admire gay people for standing up. You know, in our life, how old are you, Paul? 52. Oh, okay. You know, like a day over 49. (laughs) (laughs) But um, I really admire the, like, I remember, did you ever know Jason Stewart? I didn't see you had him on the program. I haven't, no, but I know who he is. Well, when I was doing comedy, he was being in the closet, you know? Oh, really? That's way back. Oh, yeah, way back. And then he... And then he came out, and then he he just it it was a whole new thing. And many people, you know, remember Ellen's first show? She was very in the closet when she had that little. Um, I did stand up with her when she was still on the closet. Yes, yeah. exactly. And then she had her her um, I forget what the sitcom was named. Just Ellen. Ellen. Yeah. And then you know you see these people that have gone through this transformation of like I'm ashamed who I am, and here I am, not ashamed. I'm worried that you will not accept me, yes. and to fuck it if you don't like me, it's your mm. problem, not mine. And I admire that path that anybody takes like that. So they're also my some of my heroes. Um, but yes, uh, I um, volunteer at Compton High and Inglewood because. I want to inspire, um, well, because, you know, I have a TV shows that I work on, and so I want to teach about writing and the fact that you don't need to go to college. You could go to college. College, for me, didn't do anything uh, except for, you know, get me away from my family. But you don't have to go to college. You can start writing, and people need this point of view, and you guys are all survivors. You know, my dad used to... um, hurt animals in our house and uh yeah he was a big animal harmer really was a sadist he sounds like a fucking serial killer yeah well i don't know about that but he uh people no he was (laughs) yeah you're right but he um you know he got murdered for something 
Your dad was murdered? Yeah. Oh, yeah. My dad was murdered. My dad was murdered. What did he, did, <laughs> did he say? Like, <laughs> to, naturally. <laughs> did, did he ever say anything to you when you moved back in? Yes. What did he say? He had, uh, he was taking antabuse at this time now. To, tr- to not drink? Yeah, which did not work. Um, but he just wondered, um, my mom brought me in the bedroom where he was, their new bedroom. They had a rule that any time my mother caught my father cheating on her, she got to add something onto the house. So we had a it just, huge house. It just gets better. <laughs> it just gets better. So we had a very large house. So right now, they, this was not their new bedroom, but they had added a gym. Who had a gym in the 60s? But we had a gym. Uh, they had a gym outside of their bedroom. So he was standing by the uh, sliding glass door to go out to the gym with his foot on their king-size bed. And he's six four. As I said, very Clint Eastwood. You know, he held a cigarette like this, cupped it in his hand. Mm-hmm. You know, your mom tells me, you know, that this happened. Just how many times did it happen? Oh, so he's taking the route that he was so drunk he didn't know what happened. Yeah, I think that was true. I mean, you know, we got through it. I did not. Uh, I still had all the problems and fearful of it, but we did at least. I mean, this is what happened. So he said how many times and I just couldn't believe that he wouldn't know at the time I didn't know what blackout that how could you not know so I did you say that to him how how do you not know or you just well you know I just said you know and he said he explained that I drank so much that I didn't know and here's what a blackout was and at the time it sounded great like wow I hope I get that you know were you you (laughs) I could really use that I wish I would have blacked out if you would have given me some alcohol I could have blacked out too and but anyway so I was trying to grapple with it and uh so then he just asked me uh, so we he explained that. I, I don't know if we ever went to the numbers game after we explained the blackout, and he just asked me if I could forgive him. So that's what happened. And uh, and, and what did you say? Well, I just, <clears throat> you know, here we are Catholic, and Jesus forgave the people who killed him. So maybe I will do that. But then I'm like, I'm not Jesus. And I can't even be Virgin Mary, yuck, yuck. But I mean, I can. I'm. I said, I will forgive you if you buy me a horse and I can take horseback riding lessons four times a week, like a fucking little Joan Collins. And then I will not, you know. That's what I said. And I got a horse named Rebel, and I took horseback riding lessons. And I remember when I was taking a lesson, we had money. If that's not sounds like it, yeah. Um. So that was good. But um, I remember uh, one mother telling her kid, because uh, he was like, Mom, Andrea has a horse, and why do I, can't I have a horse, and blah, blah, blah. And she said, because she's spoiled. And I thought, if you only knew how spoiled I am, I am completely spoiled. I'm ruined. You know, in that in the totally different way that you're meaning it, I am spoiled. And so spoiled I deserve like, this Spoiled horse. like rotten. Yeah. And that's how I got my horse. I am spoiled. I thought she's so completely right. She doesn't know how right she is. So that's what happened. How long did you feel shame? Did you feel dirty? Oh, all of that stuff. 
um, I say until 1979 when I got counseling in Scientology. You know, I covered up the shame with... uh, I covered up the shame with being a good student. That's what I was. I was like a straight A student and a perfectionist, and I used to stay in my room and write extra credit reports. I was the girl Mm -hmm. that you would hate. Like, you know... Oh, it's Monday. I've come in with 12 extra credit reports. Really, I just copied, you know, the encyclopedia into a picture, but that's all I did. Um, and, uh, had some goldfish that I lo- also loved. Uh, but that, those were my basic things that I did. And, um, so I covered up it up with that. I loved school and the nuns and all of that because, um, the rules, you knew the rules. That's what, you know, was the rules were always changing in our house. But school had rules. You, if you do this, 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 you're going to get an A. Oh, okay. I could do that. So I became that way. Then I skipped a bunch of years of uh, school. Really? And, like you skipped grades? Yes, I skipped grades. And I graduated uh, when I was 16. Wow. And, uh, yeah. And I, I, want, I was pressing my mom and dad to go to high school to college early i could go to college i could go away to college like get me out of here i could go away to college and my mom was like no you're way too young and you'll uh, once my mom felt you know was that i was raped my mom went on her whole thing honey i was raped so many times i didn't want she went these rape men i don't know if she really was or but it just got more did and, you have, and did, more did she have like a scrapbook of, of rape, <laughs> rape memories that honey, she would look open at this i she had all these rape memories. Don't of, make me break out the rape book. <laughs> Look at here. I was only seven. But she, so, but, but my teacher in my small town, my guidance counselor, who was my, who was a pain, got me to college. She said, I wanted, I was just, it wasn't that I was just smart. It's that I was doing all this stuff and I want to go to summer school. Can I go to summer school all, nine to five? That's great. I will take, can I keep staying here? So, I signed up for summer school uh, between 15 and 16 to take trigonometry and American history, which would be my only other requirements that I needed, you know. To graduate. And the guidance counselor called my mother and said, I'm very concerned about Andrea. Because My mother's like, why? And she said, my mother doesn't want anybody to think badly of you. Um, it's obvious to me that she must be pregnant. Because I've never had girls want to finish early that weren't pregnant. And my mother, who did not want me to go to college, got on her high horse and was like, are you kidding me? She's graduating because she hates this fucking town and she is going to college and blah, blah, blah. And she's not pregnant. And so just to spite that lady, she okayed me to go to UCLA. And I came here and I was like, yes. And that's how I got here. Wow. But. I was going to tell you another seminal moment that was helpful to me. My grandma, who I love very much, um, bought a... Dad's dad's mom or mom's mom? No, my mother's mother. My grandmother on my dad's mother was... uh, My dad's side was pretty good, too. But my grandma, my mom's mom, who was super sweet. You just can't understand how my mom could come out of that. But anyway, she bought us these little chicks for Easter. And we didn't feed them or anything, so they all died except for one. And that chicken... Um, would walk around our backyard, I guess just eating bugs, and that's how it lived. And we had a big trampoline in the backyard. Uh, and one day, my dad 
and his friend got really drunk and they decided to kill the chicken. That would be fun. They were going to um, take the chicken to this canal that we had on the back of the side of our house and drown it and just see how long they could hold underwater and stuff. So anyway, um, they did that a couple times. And then my dad's like, oh, you know, it's dead. And he flings it. And then he's talking to Bob, his friend, and they're drinking beers. And then the chicken comes back alive. And starts walking, and then Bob's like, you didn't fucking drown it right. And he's grabbing the chicken, and, you know, he's shaking it and putting it under the water. And he's like, that's how you fucking kill a chicken. And the chicken just, and he throws it. After a little bit, the chicken come, revives. So now they come back into our yard, and they tie the chicken up with jump rope around this tree in the back. And they're taking a bat, and they are batting it to death. And they're just like, wow, my dad's very strong. And then Bob uh, was also pretty good and uh i'm in the house watching this and watching the phone as i'm trying to wait for this guy to call me and um, i'm just watching that and then pretty soon my little brother watches it and he's like oh i'm gonna go have fun with dad and kill this chicken you know and then as soon as my dad saw my brothers he didn't want to be bothered with them so he dropped the bat and left and so then my brothers are out there hitting the chicken who's got to be dead by this time or every bone smashed i don't understand this but anyway now our neighbor mr i guess i shouldn't say anybody's name but anyway our neighbor looks over and maybe he'd been watching my dad hurting this chicken but didn't say anything because my dad's so big but now that dad's gone and just the little kids are doing my neighbor's like what are you doing to that chicken stop it untie it at once blah blah blah, and give it to me so my brother swung it over the the fence to our neighbor we don't see the chicken again. That's the end of that day. Now we are a year or so later at the Fresno Fair coming back. And here is our neighbor it with a cage with a uh, blue ribbon with our chicken. And that chicken, uh, I guess when bones break, they come back more or whatever. That bigger. chicken lived? That chicken lived to get a a prize, I don't know if it's first, second, third, whatever, a, a ribbon at the state fair. And that chicken, I just kept thinking. And my dad thought, we should get that. We should have gotten the ribbon. Because if it wasn't for what I did to that chicken, it wouldn't be, it was a nothing chicken until we, you know, when you break a bone, it comes back stronger and blah, blah, blah. And I was thinking, if that chicken can make it through my life, and live to get a ribbon, I can maybe make it. And that was like, I was just like, there's hope. There is hope for me. And then I became a drug addict. (laughs) 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 But it was a real, like a little moment to see like that fucking chicken has lived. He lived and he got a ribbon. And it's not the end of the world. It is not the end of the world. So, but, uh, I mean, I don't want to be, horrify people. And mind, I've heard you talk. Too late. <laughs> so I'm, I'm holding back on some bad things. Are you? Yes. I don't want to, uh, you know. Well, I, don't, I certainly don't want this to be. Uh, like, um, oh, I just feel like you know, my life's too one, much. One horror after another. Yeah. But, but I want, I think the ones that were seminal informing who we are and kind of inform the struggles that we have today or struggles that we've overcome that allowed us to become the person that we wanted to become, I think are important, even if they're hard to listen to. Well, my father picked on my brother so much that my brother then was, uh, 
had way more problems, and he was institutionalized as I'm one of the only people in my family that hasn't been. But anyway, um, he's gone to some great ones, Los Encinas here, and and several uh, support groups. And uh, anyway, then he went on to prison. So, which is you know, what do they say? Prison, hospitals, institutions, yeah, and death. Exactly. And then it wasn't until uh, so, which is funny because uh, I mean, it's just. A seminal moment is that I never was close with him. I felt sorry for him of what happened, but it was kind of like survival mode at our house. I didn't have enough extra for him because I was doing my thing, but my dad was extra mean to him. And he was older or younger? Oh, he's younger. I'm the oldest. Yeah. Um, but then, and um, <clears throat> so. Later, when he was in prison, he, uh, my brother became a meth addict, as did most everybody in my family, uh, struggled with that. And, uh, he's in prison one of these times, and he got this other girl that was a meth addict pregnant, and they had, he was, anyway, she had a baby, and he said, Will you raise my son? So I went and got his little son, and, uh, and then, uh, through caring for this child, I thought, I don't know, I, and then, you know, Hal didn't instantly come out of prison and start doing drugs, as most people don't. They have this, okay, I've got two years clean, mm-hmm. I'm going to make it, and and it's it's at a certain amount of months that they go, or weeks that you go, um, and uh, so when he was clean, he'd come and see my son. Anyway, now my brother lives with me and has lived with me for three years and um, is just doing fantastic. And I love and adore him. And I feel like here we are, two two chickens that have, you know, we're two two ribbons <laughs> winners. Wow. And, uh, yeah. And is his boy still with you? Yes, yes. How old is he? Uh, he's just turned 12, October 3rd. Wow. He's super sweet. And uh, the mother is... Uh, his biological mother is dying right now, but in, in, um, uh, from so, addiction, from kidney failure, which mm. happens uh, anyway. I was reading up on meth, and it says kidney and uh, oh, liver. That's but, so toxic. It's it, so toxic. It's very toxic. I. Uh, it's very toxic. But um, you know, to, he's he's. I so what have I done? I did this little. I've done this little weird prisoner thing. I I I turned our garage into uh, a second story on top of it. We call it the gondo, which is like a condo garage. And then we put my brother in there, and then he started doing good. And you know, he t- took him to Scientology, did some classes. He started believing in himself. He's just doing so good. <clears throat> so then. Uh, here comes his cell, you know, my cellmate's getting out and blah, blah, blah. And he's a meth addict and uh, he's going to go back to, uh, where is it, Fontana, someplace out there. And But he's a really good guy and just talked to him on the phone and maybe he could stay here. So I moved my brother in the house and then moved Robert there and I took him on. And then I was mm-hmm. like, okay, well, here's the thing, <laughs> you know, take some class in Scientology, do some uh, work here. And then we started building a chicken coop and blah, blah, blah. So now he's finished and now i'm t- um then uh, robert had a cellmate <laughs> so we have this like a little hand that's kind of come out and now we're getting ready for Stuart. and uh and so do they all then go get sober through scientology yeah yeah and live in our gondo and help at the house and wow 
and it's like a six, I mean, not, it could take as long as it takes, but I mean, like a six months, I've done like six to eight months and, uh, I'm like knocking on wood and everything, but I feel like I have a little prison reform in my backyard because don't you ever feel like this? I do feel like this. And it's one of my fears. It is my biggest fear. And that is, there's a cool quote. Am I, is it, it's been like five hours now. You look, did you look at your clock? And they're like, oh. Uh, <laughs> an hour, an hour and 10 minutes. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, then. <laughs> but I, I, I think they used to have this quote up on, it was like black billboard, white writing on Sunset Boulevard. And, I and I think they said anonymous and I think I don't know who really said it but it's such a cool quote and it says uh evil prospers when men of goodwill do nothing. Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, and I just that's one of my favorite quotes in the world. And so I just want to make sure cuz you know all the bad things that are going on and violence and all the uh, things that kids go through and and then you add gangs and everything else and prejudice and racism and I mean, blah, blah, blah. Oh, there's so much stuff that I feel like I hope as a person of goodwill, I'm doing some I'm doing something. I hope it's enough. You know what I'm saying? I'm doing something. So anyway, I, I'm very happy about my my little prisoner thing. Criminal reform program in my backyard. <laughs> <laughs> so so what are some other snapshots um from your life you've you know positive ones you want positive ones i feel like positive ones whatever whatever you want to share to give us a picture of your your life and either your struggles or your accomplishments or um, how is you know being an incest survivor how is um is intimacy scary for you i don't mean necessarily sexual intimacy i just mean show you paul no (laughs) (laughs) no not anymore I'm That's a, fantastic. I, not anymore. I have a, such a wonderful husband, and uh, no, I'm so I'm like. So you I'm don't like, feel overwhelmed uh, when somebody sees you and wants to be close to you and, and touches you. That doesn't uh-uh. trigger anything uh-uh. in you. Not anymore. Wow. Not anymore. It You've did done some healing. It did. Okay. But, uh, it did back in the day. I used to always be suspect of everyone, and also I had a thing where even if I knew you were a nice person, or let's say you're um, you're my husband. Uh, well, I didn't really have it with a husband, but let's say you're my boyfriend. And so now I went to Fresno to visit my family. Why would you do that? But anyway, and now I haven't seen you in three days or five days. Don't hug me. Let me just. (laughs) I so get get that. Wait, let me get used to you. Yes. You know. Let me decompress. Let me decompress. Or if I'm crying in a movie, don't put your arm around me. Just Mm -hmm. you be over there and do your thing. Um, I've been working with foster kids for a while and they always say rad. I forget what it's called, but it's um, reaction attachment disorder. And I was like, oh, dude, I so had that. You know, that's what I had. Like just. Oh, you're gone? You're gone. I remember going on dates when this was all previous to the counseling. I would think, oh, I really love this guy. He's great. And we did drugs. We had so much fun. And I washed my face. I felt like I washed my feelings off. Like, I would just be like, oh, but I don't really care about him at all. (laughs) And I would always have to um, tell guys whatever um, because I sound like such a liar because I'd be like, oh, my God, you're so great. And we should do this again and da, da, da. And then be like, oh, no. So I just said, if you add the word right now to anything I'm saying, it will make total sense of me. So I'm not totally lying, but I love you right now. 
and I want to see you forever right now. Probably not tomorrow, <laughs> but right now I'm feeling these feelings, but they will not last. I have fleeting feelings. I couldn't catch them to hold them, but that's a past thing. Yeah. You're so cute to look at with your little earphones on and you're so, <laughs> I wish everybody could see that you're so like um, nodding your head and just looking at, you're so captivated maybe. I don't know what the word is, but you're such well, a good I love, listener. I, I, I love hearing people's life stories. It's, it's yeah. uh, especially one that's as um, dramatic and um, as... I don't know what the word is, as strong as as yours. I mean, you've been through, through so much. And I worry sometimes when I, when I do a story like yours or like Annika's, and, you know, I'm such a fucking people pleaser. I am worried that the person like, like, uh, who grew up in, a, in, in an environment that was uh, where the parents were indifferent, which is a f- form, of t- abuse. form of trauma and abuse. Absolutely. And I worry about those people hearing a story like yours where you survive this fucking m- monstrous kind of abuse from both parents and you come out the other side and... I guess I just want to say to the to those people that are like, well, the, I must be weak then because I feel stuck and I didn't have anything remotely dramatic happen to me. What would you say to somebody who's who's sitting there right now and thinking that? I would say, I've had a lot of things to say. I would say, never invalidate yourself. There's so much in the world that can invalidate you, but don't invalidate yourself. I... um I think it's important to try to, so if you have negative thoughts that are um, counter survival, they are not helping you, they're, you know, I feel that if any of us had a friend that was saying what those negative thoughts say, you would not be next to that friend. You would go, okay, later, I'm not around you. Or you would really want to fuck them. Depending, of course. Depending of course, on how, of how screwed up your childhood Marry was. Them. Oh my God, you fucking hate me! <laughs> I want to fuck you right now. Right, exactly. <laughs> but um, anyway, I I don't want my story to invalidate you. You know, if you have a mind that is finding ways to put yourself down, don't use a survivor story to put yourself down because. I don't know what you've gone through. You don't know what I've gone through. I've found something that worked for me, and I was fucking lucky because I wasn't looking. I didn't want it. I wanted drugs. I did not want. I didn't read a book. I didn't want help. I don't want to take the fucking personality test. I didn't care about my fucking personality. I would. It's like interested me like a used tampon. Like, what would I do with that? And I didn't care if I failed the test. It's not like a pregnancy test where I have to make a phone call. Like, oh, I better call him. It's like, oh, I was so wet. I fucking fail it. I don't care. But anyway, I've gotten through these things. And maybe, hopefully, you could just find the good of like, well, if that person can make it, I can too. If that chicken can make it, I can too. If that could. But don't forget, I'm almost 60. <laughs> so don't forget that. Um I'm hoping that I would empower somebody to be inspired. I don't want to help somebody to find a way, 
put themselves down. And I think that anybody who's done any um, uh, self-improvement through whatever means knows that these negative thoughts aren't you. These are not you. So don't, it's so weird how how we have it. Like in real, in life, people say, well, you got to think of the worst case scenario and why that's reality. But if you thought of the best case scenario, like he's living in the dream. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? We're, we're so like, if it's negative, we- Let's welcome it in. Let's welcome it's gonna it in. It's going to build character. Right? And it's it could, it's probably real. But if it's positive, like, oh, he thinks he's going to win the lottery. Oh, oh my God, that fairy tale. Oh, he thinks he's going to, like, how does he know he's going to do? Even comics, like, that think they're going to do good. You think, how dare you think you're going to do good? Why aren't you afraid you're going to fail? That's what you, <laughs> you know, it's just so bizarre yeah. that the negative seems more real than the positive. But I really don't think that's true. I don't think that's true. You know what I do? I do this successful action that maybe people like. I set my phone for five minute timer in the morning and I get up, whether if I have time to go on a walk, I do that. If not, I just walk in my room. I go with that five minutes. And for five minutes, I make myself say out loud things I'm grateful for. I am grateful for that I'm healthy. I'm grateful that there's no war in our country right now. I'm grateful that my kids are doing well. I'm grateful that I have nine chickens. I'm grateful that we live in Los Angeles. I'm grateful for black people. I'm grateful for President Obama. I'm great. You 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 realize that like in 40 seconds you could think, wow, I used to, I don't even have any more things to be grateful for. So you have to keep pushing, <laughs> and and then I do five minutes of what I want to be. Like, I want to be blah, I want to be blah. And I don't always do it every morning, but I try to do it every morning. And it kind of puts you in a, you have a lot to be thankful for. So you would say, I want to be peaceful, I want to be content, uh, as opposed to I want to be a uh, graduate student, I want to be a... I want to sell this show, I do have those, but Mm -hmm. I want to be not jealous of other people. I want to be the person that's like, I didn't sell my show, you sold your show, good for you, and try to mean that. I don't mm-hmm. want to be, I want to be loving of people. I want to be a good, um, I want to be smiling of people. I want to have a smile on my face. I mm-hmm. want to have something when I come out back at the end of this day that I was really pleasantly surprised. Why does surprise have to always be bad? Maybe I'll be, ple- I used to have a manager that always said, always be prepared to be pleasantly surprised. And I was like, how did you get to be so positive? Like, that's amazing that you're that way. And, um, but anyway, I don't know if I sound too Pollyanna for people, but I just try to put out there some things that I would like to happen. What's interesting is when you put five minutes, you go, after one minute, you're done with yourself. And then you have to go, well, then I hope the world is good. And I hope that people, blah, blah, blah. I just keep going for five minutes and it expands me to not just be thinking of like and then for me what else do i want yeah that makes sense yeah that makes sense yeah you're like oh i hope this and i hope that and i hope there's food for you know kids i hope blah 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 that's what i do and i found that it's i don't know just if you used to bite your nails and you don't bite them anymore let's say and now you but you still um uh but you still have an eating disorder. When the when the non-biting of the nail, when the biting of the nails is gone, you don't rec- re- you don't remember it because it's gone. And so you see, but I still have this problem. But what about the problems that you handled? Mm-hmm. That's something you know. That's something to be grateful for. And, and to try to remember. 
and to try to remember, yeah. I'm grateful that I can eat a hundred bites of something. I am not in that thing of nine bites. Paul, the the year before I got help, I was in the hospital four times in with IVs in my arm, with doctors of varying nationalities and weights <laughs> um, telling me I was going to die. And all I could think was, why do they care? They don't even know me. I, I, I was not affected at all by any of their words. I just thought, how weird that you could get so excited about somebody. I don't have that. So how can I not be thankful? I am even thankful that I'm in Scientology and some people are prejudiced against it. You know why? I never really knew. It gives me more reality on people that have prejudice. Mm-hmm. I've always been in the blue hair, blue eyes, blonde hair oh, group. So mm-hmm. you, nobody's going to feel sorry for that. You know what I mean? I, what, how am I going to relate to the fact that you have somebody that's mean disliking you for the color of your skin? But people disliking me from the word Scientology, it actually has been a growing experience for me because it gives me a chance to experience that and still like like the person. Mm-hmm. And say, you know, this is America, and what's so great about it is, is uh, we can all be so different, but we can, hmm. we can, we can dislike each other or like each other. And I now know what it's like to have somebody dislike you because of something that you're involved in, and I never had that before. Hmm. It's eye opening, you know. Anyway, um, that's well, that. Let's let's hear the uh, <laughs> the story about the uh, the jar. Oh, the jar. Well, <laughs> this is not a bad one, but I mean, it's unusual. Yes. And you That's guys can an, Google it. That is an understatement. <laughs> so as you know, my mother is an only child and so beautiful <laughs> No, and has no friends. She's an only child, has no friends, and has a husband who is cheating on her right and left, who's also a pretty handsome guy. I mean, if you have to be raped by someone, no. Uh, but anyway, that's what they had in common. They were both really handsome and beautiful, and I guess that's what they liked about each other, but they had nothing else in common. But anyway, so she was very lonely. And um, when she had, when she was, she had a very bad pregnancy with my fifth brother, I mean, my fifth, her fifth child, my little brother, Lawrence, who's 11 years younger than me. And so my mom went to the hospital a lot. She she had started bleeding internally and had to be bedridden. And then uh, she was in the hospital a long time having him. It's not like she came back in two days. She was there for like a week. Of course, during that time, my dad is with me and taken up with me. And we had a little... Um, so I was hoping mom would get back soon. <laughs> oh, that's when the uh, sexual abuse was going on. Got, yeah. And uh, and had picked up because now mom's gone. And here I am. Was this before the stabbing with the fork? Oh, yes. Okay. That came. It never happened again after the stabbing of the fork and going to Pearl. No, no, no. So. A plastic fork will do that. (laughs) So my mom is at the hospital and she uh, has the baby. It's a healthy boy, my brother Lawrence. And then they. Uh, she's just bleeding more and more. And so they find this tumor on her ovary. And now back in those days, they did a routine hysterectomy, they called it. Routine. (laughs) Just take all that out. So she was 36 
with her fifth child and no hormones and on high doses of Valium and uh, estrogen, as you will. And uh, so so here she is in the hospital and they're doing the routine hysterectomy. And when they, when they take out the tumor that was on the ovary as well as the ovaries and all that, they see that the tumor, which is uh, almost the size of a grapefruit, is not a tumor, but a twin sister that was also 36 years old, that basically, it's called vanishing twins, and I think also disappearing twins and absorbed twins, but vanishing twins because... Eh, anyway, so so it was your mom's twin sister. that some, her, your mom's sister that is the same age as her that got absorbed into her body as opposed to being born right alongside her. Right, and and they say now, if you look it up, that it's a very common thing that many of us are twins, start out as twins. Now that they have all this ultrasound. That, you know, there's a certain percentage, and I forgot what it is, but it's not like 10 or 5. It's like, oh, 30% that has a, a another fetus is there, or way before fetus, but another little zygote. zygote is there, and then it doesn't form. And it either just vanishes or attaches to the other. So, and then you live with it, and uh, People have them at the bottom of their spines. Mm. Like, you know, I've talked to doctors since saying, oh, yes, I had a client who had a back pain, and then we removed a little blah, blah, from the bottom of the spine or this or that. But anyway, with my mother, because of all the blood that had been going through there and her hard pregnancy, then it started to grow. So, But not alive. No, not alive. Okay. But, I mean, cells growing. I don't, right. I'm not a doctor, but it was gross. So, anyway, she has this thing taken out and it uh my grandmother didn't want anything to do with it she was like oh <laughs> but my mom lacking friends and or any siblings was like just oh my god this is a miracle so she has this thing which had a spine had skin over a spine it was kind of like um like like if you took a hot dog and put a spine on it like that yeah. that amount of bigness and then uh and then like a tadpole like yeah. the it's not like a head but you see where the head is it's not like a, right. on a neck mm -hmm. and then a little bit of teeth just coming out of a face oh my god and black hair like a troll she's doll. sticking her hair out yeah, yeah i'm right pulling now. my hair out like like when well, I saw it floating in this the, the liquid that my mom kept it in, so the hair is like this. And you're like, oh, my God. So my mom comes home from the hospital. She locks herself in her room, and she is extremely suicidal. And so we did not see her for like a month, month and a half, as she's now in her room. And I remember um, Pearl would say... <laughs> Tell your mother good morning. You know, tell your mom you're going to school now. And we just look at this doorknob. That doorknob I'll never forget. It's a cheap kind of, you know, like gold-colored doorknob. But it's, mm -hmm. you know, like thin fake door. Gold, could, fake yeah. gold, yeah. And uh, you could put a bobby pin through it and pop mm -hmm. at the door. Anyway, like, okay, mom, I'm going to school. My mom never answered back. And then at night, tell your mom you're going to bed. Okay, mom, I'm going to bed. No answer. One time I heard her singing like really... Do you know the way? 
my God. But she was just, imagine you have no, you're instantly thrown into menopause and you're 36 and you're already on so much medication and you're just, you know, do I need some Percodan or some Valium? Librium was pretty big then. Valium was the most, most prescribed drug in history uh, at that time. I'm sure we've outdone it now, but, uh, and, and so, and then estrogen and you're just like, so anyway, so she comes out a month or so afterwards, and we had a nurse that Mrs. White, who was watching, who was white, uh, taking care of the baby. This was during this time when you babies couldn't have germs, so mm. the nurse had that, and you just looked at the baby, and oh, it was very nice, and you're not allowed to touch it. So that's who Mrs. White was, and then Pearl was taking care of us. And uh, my mom comes out, and she's wearing like a gold lame, uh, above the knee, tight dress, and she's got like black all around her eyes, and her hair done up <clears throat> in this really odd. She, I would say, she looked like a background singer that had gone through a tornado. You know, she just <laughs> looked like. What it, but but it was still great to see her. You know, it's yeah. like okay. That's her. We'll take her. I'll take her. And she smiled at me, and I was so happy that she was even looking in my direction. And I thought, oh, God, I hope Dad, maybe Dad will be attracted to this. I mean, look at her. She was something. And um, she was like, did you see the the miracle? And I'm like, yes, I saw the babies really cute. She's like, oh, not him. (laughs) Not him. She's like, no. And so she's taking my hand and she's going to introduce me and I want to introduce you to your aunt. And I'm like, my aunt? And she said, yes. And, and I must have made a face or something because she was like, if you can't be respectful, I'm not going to introduce you. And I'm promising that I'm going to be respectful. And I'm like, where am I going? What could be happening right now? But I'm with my mom and she's all dressed up and she's talking to me and she's out of her room. And so we go into her room. Uh, and then my dad and her, because of, you know, every time someone has an affair, so they build, build, build. So my mom had her own walk-in closet. This was way before then. And my dad had his own walk-in closet. Who had that? And my mom had all these purses and shoes and then just dresses and everything. So she's climbing up the shoe shelves in her little kind of mini dress. And I'm watching her get up and up and up. And I'm just, <laughs> it was very surreal uh, to watch her go up there. Cause moms don't yeah. climb. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like my mother was always decked out and just barefoot climbing. So she's climbing up there and then she gets out of one of her hat boxes that she had all her Easter hats and stuff like a mayonnaise jar type of thing and she jumps down that's also a thing my mom did she just jumps down and she says this is your aunt caroline and she shows me this thing in this jar and i'm like and it was i i was just like oh my god and all i just remember asking is it's she's dead right and then my mom's like we don't know that for sure no (laughs) that was my and then i left the closet and that was my Aunt Caroline that my mom kept near and dear 
her whole life. And she obviously your mom named her that, yes, right? Yes, Caroline. My mother's name was Dottie, but it was really Eileen, but everybody called her Dottie. Dottie and Caroline. Caroline, what is I wonder what Caroline thinks. Let's just find out what Caroline thinks about that. She would say that. Yeah, she would talk to Caroline. She would talk to the jar. To the jar. Like, How long did she keep the jar? Um, I blanked out on the jar, as I did much of my life, until my brother, who's 11 years younger, called me uh, wanting to share the information. He was like 18. He was a crack addict at that time. But anyway, he had said, oh, my God. You will not fucking believe what I happened to me. You know, I came home, I was fucked up, and there's mom wandering around in her slip, talking to herself, and I just stay up and drink with her. And then after a while, it's like three in the morning, and she says, I think you're old enough to see something. And I'm like, <laughs> oh my God. I have no idea. I've blocked Aunt Caroline right. out. I'm like, what did she do? Did she like put on a dildo and fuck you in the closet? Like, what's happening? And he's like, no, wait, dude, I'm trying to tell you. And he's like, she takes me in her closet. And, uh, and then she turns the lights on and says, you know, close your eyes. And I'm like, oh my God. You know, I'm just thinking rape, incest, rape, incest. This is our family motto. And, then she shows me this gnarly thing, this jar, and she tells me it's her sister, and she's had it there all the time. And I was like, Aunt it Caroline all came comes back. flooding back. And I'm like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Okay, cut to later on, the ne last next time I saw her, my mother. Uh, you know, you talk about boundaries. That is a thing I also learned about in Scientology, about healthy boundaries. So I had put some boundaries in with my mother. So I just kept it to phone calls here and there. And I was very uh, quick to get off the phone. Mom, I'm so glad you called. I was just thinking about how great you are and blah, blah, blah. I got to go. You know, that was my basic. Oh, Mom. <laughs> blah, 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 blah. I love you so much. I'm ra racing to here, mm -hmm. you know. So, but anyway, she calls me. We are getting together in Santa Barbara, all of us. And I need you there. And I guess there's no excuses. We're going to have a funeral for your Aunt Caroline. And she basically had her cremated. And we went out on a boat to spread her ashes. And you're just biting the inside. Did you ever bite the inside of your mouth when you're not supposed to be laughing? You're just like, oh, my God. We're so fucking crazy. But my mom... My mom was talking to me then and kind of really liked me then because even though she had spread around to all my brothers and sisters, I was in a cult never to make eye contact with me or I would hypnotize you. Um, they had done – they all stayed in Fresno. So they had done an intervention, which I did not go to because do what you're going to do, you know. Mm. And so she instantly hated them all. You know what I mean? She just intervention. How dare you? Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> so now I get I make it up to the top of the list of people she likes because I wasn't at the intervention. So because um, I'm just like doing my little conversations on the phone. So anyway, so now here we all are on the boat in Santa Barbara, biting the insides of our mouth as my drunken mother is giving a send off to Aunt Caroline, and she does say, you know the wind beneath my wings and blah 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 and the funniest part was well the funniest part is the whole that we all came there we're still like robotic to my mother okay we have to come okay we're coming to a stupid funeral for something that didn't exist that didn't live you know it, it's a anyway she throws so have you ever seen anybody cremated have you ever held Spread ashes it. yes to anybody in your family uh dogs 
Oh, dog. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so but what kind of dog? Um, it was our our previous dog, Charlie. I think she was about uh, maybe 20 pounds, 15, 20 pounds. Mm. Okay, so that's... that's, that's sizable. Huge, sizable ashes, too. Yes. You know, it's got some weight to it. Yeah. Um, this thing was like a cigarette, probably. That's what I was. That's right. Getting rid of her was just like tapping the ashes of a cigarette. <laughs> just like, okay, so it was just like nothing. It was like, okay, to not laugh as a cigarette's worth of ashes are dispersed into the ocean. And so my mom goes on and on about Caroline, just looking at each other like that's a lot of my life seemed surreal. And thank God I was healthier then to just enjoy it and as opposed to be like, oh, I don't think I would have been alive. I would have been, I don't think I would have made it to the funeral of Aunt Caroline. But you know what I always say? Did you Did you have a good dad? Do you have a good dad? Um, he passed in, in 06. He was not an abusive guy, but he was just not interested. He, he had so many demons in his head uh, and he was an, a closet alcoholic that he just couldn't connect with people, um, let alone his his family. He just he just was he was trapped doing in, the... he was trapped in his own mind. Okay, so but he just went to work and then went showed to work. up dinner and yeah, just yeah, watched TV. Yeah. Well, you know, a lot of people have fucked up parents, and a lot of people have good parents. I've always attracted to people with good parents. I just I just want to study it. Like <laughs> me too. You know what I mean? Like oh my god, so your parents and just. What is yeah. that like? Like and comets don't impress me, but healthy families are like completely, comets. Completely. Like comets to me. Yes. Like, like where they enjoy each other's company and they all laugh together. Yes. I'm like. They're having a meal and they're rem- reminiscing and just like, are you, fr- what planet are you from? I'd like to go to that planet. Oh my God. So, um, I, I have had some friends that have good parents and then their parents die and they're sad, you know. Mm-hmm. And I always say to them, you know, I was sad and cried when my parents were alive. So you're supposed to cry when they die. I didn't cry when either of my parents died. I don't know that anybody in my family did. We cried so much because of them when they were alive that when they died, it was it was not the Wicked Witch of Us, but there was a sense of relief. Like, mm-hmm. okay. That chapter, you know, like, oh, God, I don't have to fake that. I don't. Anyway, it was so so I feel like when people, you know, like your parents are going to cause you to cry either when they're alive <laughs> or when they die. You're going to cry. You're going to cry. <laughs> either way, you're going to cry somewhat. Well put. You know, so, um, yeah. Anyway, so that was uh, that is Aunt Caroline. And I know you have to Google it to believe it. But look, Google Vanishing Twins and, and uh, people. I think I, it did after I heard you tell it on, uh, you did on Taboo Tales. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I did. <laughs> and you're like. <laughs> <laughs> no, I believed really? it when you told the story. But oh. I just wanted to. Yeah, uh, to look still, it up. It's just like one of those things that can't quite sink in. Yeah, yeah. Like what? What? Like why? Why I had to keep watching footage of nine eleven because it was like this doesn't seem real. No, I, I yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. How can this be real? How can this, this be real? Yeah. How can this be real? That was like a lot of my life, and you know what's interesting is I, um, I, I, I have a sibling. Well, Hal's living with me now, and he'll be like, "Oh, remember when blah blah blah?" And I'll be like, "Huh? Oh yeah, I kind of do." But it's so great to have somebody else like supporting these memories because you're like, yeah. "Oh yeah, remember when this? Oh yeah." But um, uh, 
Aunt Caroline was uh, something that, I guess it was kind of like the icing on the cake. It all of my, I, I, I kept up with two of my friends from that uh, high, when I, from high school. And they, we all got back together like, I don't know, 10 years ago or five years ago. We hadn't seen each other before. And, uh, you know, since high school. <clears throat> And they were all telling me how jealous they were of me. And, I, I, and it dawned on me that they didn't know. So that means I didn't tell them. I would have thought I would have. but Or told somebody. But I didn't tell anybody. And it's so amazing that like they didn't even see a trace of it. Like, you know what I mean? Like we were the person on the block. They were my friends from the block. Also from, you know, Catholic school and blah, blah, blah. That, uh, that kind of thought oh and you had it you know you, you had, had it, it all so good yeah of course just to say an interesting thing remember twin peaks uh vaguely i mean i remember the show i just didn't really watch it well i remember one time driving in our station wagon uh like when my dad was cheating on my mom this was some fun times like you say do you have fun with your abusers i i, I love this show so much um but i remember the fun times i would have with my mom because my dad was, uh, you know, to, we, I was picked of all the kids, probably because I was oldest, to go in the car with my mom and chew juicy fruit gum with her, which was such a big thing, and smell her Aquanet from her hairspray and her coral lipstick and just be with her as she was so done up as we drive around town. This is before seatbelts so that when you turn, you just be like, Mm -hmm. looking for my dad and whoever he was fucking. That was she like, we're going to find whoever he, she didn't say fucking, sticking his dick into, that's what she said. (laughs) Because it's so much better. (laughs) And that was, I was just, felt like Nancy Drew, like, oh my God, this is like, I'm chosen, like, we're going to find him. And, and then I, we, and then I don't know what we're going to do, but we're going to find him. And I'm helping mom and they, none of the kids got to go with her. This is when she was more together now, you yeah. know, had gotten rights amount of estrogen mainly, but uh, whatever she was, she was doing pretty good. And it was like such an honor to be in the station wagon and looking for him. And I remember having like this little prayer to God about like, I hope my dad never stops cheating on her because then she won't, I, cause, cause I we won't get be to, her buddy. I won't be her detective friend. And then I, I don't know if God listened to me, but he never did stop cheating on her. So until they, you know, got a divorce, but, uh, we, we had so much fun looking for him and finding him and tiptoeing into someone's house once. I didn't go in the house. I stayed in the yard where we found his car, his Corvette. You know what you meant? Like we have a mom has a station where he has a red Corvette and it's outside of this house and a really pretty pink Spanish child house. And my mom at this time, uh, looked kind of like Agent 99. Was uh-huh. that her name? Barbara. Nine, Barbara Felton. Yeah, Feldman. But my mom was a blonde, but she had those sunglasses. She had a scarf around her neck and a pantsuit. And I was always impressed with how my mom looked. And I was, I was, um, sitting in the ladies it was really hot Fresno super hot 
I was in the lady's backyard. We had broken into her backyard and my mom was going to go into the house and confront them. And I was waiting outside in the yard. And so I was sticking my feet in the lady's pool. Like I'm just waiting outside. I'm not even nervous. Like mom's going to go in and talk to dad. I don't know what would be happening. Right. And then when I see my mom coming out, run. And she's tearing for the station wagon. And I'm like, oh, pick up my shoes and we're running. It was like so much fun. And then she was like, okay, we were at the movies. If anybody asks, we saw blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, could we say Mary Poppins? All right, Mary Poppins. And we were, and it was just so like, wow. Why did you run? Do you remember? Because I ran because she was running. I was just following her. She didn't tell you why you had to run? No, no, no. But I guess one of them was coming after us. I don't know, but it was so fun. You know what I mean? Imagine if your dad was spying on your mom and you're in the car and you're like, oh. It was, so those were such fun moments. Uh, And, um, those were like the only one. <laughs> and pretty fucked up. Pretty fucked up. Um, that, and then of course, you know, staying with Pearl and, uh, that was great. But like, 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 uh, we had a trampoline in our backyard. So we were kind of the rich people, you know, mm-hmm. we were the rich people. So we had a trampoline that was in the ground. Like, so if you came off it, you were just you, yeah. on the ground. Yeah. And, um, my dad had a very, uh, strict rule. All his rules were very strict. Do not only one person on the trampoline at a time. This is huge. Like almost like, like it ruins the fun because you can't double bounce. I each know other. you cannot double bounce. So when Dad wasn't there, we double bounce. So here's me and my brother double bouncing, and my dad pulls up, and we didn't hear him, and he sees us on the trampoline, and he's like, "You think it's fun? You think it's fun?" Don't you you could get hurt doing that. He made us continue jumping as he pelted us with rocks. So he we would know how hurt you could get. You, you think it's fun to be double bouncing? God. We had a we had a purple house. Is Paxel purple? Someone said my house looked like a Pax a Paxel uh, drug. I don't know what that. I can't remember if Paxel's but, purple. But our house was lavender. I shouldn't say yeah. purple. Lavender with white roof with rocks on it. Can uh-huh. you picture that kind uh-huh. of a house? Like sprawling, like a block long, like ever, never ending house with a lot of yellow flowers around. And then a, a big rose gardens, but with lots of white rocks in between the roses to match the beautiful white rocks on the top. So he was using those white rocks, just like whoom, and, and hitting keep you, bouncing, yes, and we keep on, you know, and not every time because yeah. he's, you know, he was farther away. But that, I mean, all of our times, like when you know, like, oh, we're having fun. Oh no, we're not having fun. We have to keep going. Oh my god! <laughs> That's why I say I would, you know, I I'd rather be raped than beaten because we had so many things that were like so yucky that at least being raped by your father, not by somebody at gunpoint, but by your father, wasn't as painful as some of these other things that happened that were so... My father, to just give you the icing on the cake of my father, my brother was a football player, and uh, I guess he he um supposed to punt, and he messed up a punt or whatever. So my dad is going to teach him you know, to do this right. So our cat had nine kittens. Oh, no. I can't. I can't. Okay. I can't. So you can imagine how my brother would end up feeling bad having to kill each one of those by kicking it over the fence and into the canal behind her house, crying and kicking them till get his punt right. 
trying to get it right on the fourth or fifth kitten so he doesn't go all the way through the nine. It's just... He was sadistic, you know? He was a sadistic person. That is, I think... He's... Among the most sadistic things I've 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 heard in doing, I can handle almost everything in hearing the podcast. But cruelty to animals, for some yes. reason, it, it just um, because they don't deserve it in any way. Shape. They're so innocent. It's like what I think can because, they be doing? I, I think because they can't defend themselves, and they can't voice something. That's why it's sadder to me than um, than us. Yeah. We have a way to. Well, it was pretty sad. I uh I felt sorry for the kittens, of course, but I also felt sorry for my brother knowing that he oh. has to kill them and you know like he just got the worst end your, of my dad. Your dad should have been in jail for the Well, when he got his... murdered, I mean, he got murdered. So, as I said, we were just like, "Uh-huh, so what do you want to eat?" You know, and like nobody was like, "Oh, boo hoo, dad got murdered." It's like, "Oh, really? How did that happen?" We, you know. How did that not happen sooner? How did that not happen sooner? It's a yeah. cold case. Nobody knows uh, who who did what. I mean, I they know how he died, but nobody got How did he die? Well, he was uh married to a woman at the time and living in uh uh, a little town outside of Fresno that's up by Yosemite, towards Yosemite, not mm-hmm. in Yosemite. And uh, he had a balcony outside of his bedroom. Uh, you know, this was like a wooden house. Mm-hmm. It's like a cabin that's two and a half stories. It's a very pretty cabin, but it's a cabin. So there's a balcony outside. And he wa- he fell over the balcony. She used air quotes. He fell. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this was the story. This was, we originally thought, what would you think? I'll tell you this. He fell over the balcony. Uh, I think he was drunk and she had enough and she pushed him. Or he jumped. Okay, but well. He sounds like too much of a narcissist to jump though. Yeah, I know. And he was very athletic. Don't forget with the kicking and the hitting and the, you know, he's, he was athletic. So he uh, fell over the balcony and landed uh not in the rocks that were this beautiful um well there's militant like i don't know what the name of this little tiny brook it's called a river i think but it's a brook that ran through his property i think that was the goal that he would land in those rocks but there was a tree and he landed in the tree so we have the funeral his wife i forgot her name anyway uh, comes her family's all wearing hats and have you know uh, uh, beers under their chairs. My grandparents are like you know Mr. and Mrs. Very rich. We donate to the opera are there, and then there's those people and there's us. My mom came. Uh, nobody wanted her, but she came, and uh, then about I don't know how many days if it was a week or whatever. My mother was like, No, I don't believe it. He was murdered. I want to dig him up and get an autopsy. And my my mom just kept telling it and telling my grandmother, blah, blah, blah. And my grandmother thought, well, maybe my mom was like, let's just, why don't you just, let's do an autopsy. They did an autopsy. He was murdered. How do they know? Because he landed in this tree and they took pictures, even the little two police town took pictures. And the cause of death was a blow to the back of the head that does not match up with where he landed in that tree. And my mother loved him till the day he died. 
and used to always say, you don't know what it's like to have a man choose every single day to not be with you. Every single day, he makes that choice. Meanwhile, she got married several times, but I always thought, not that she would murder him, but she would pay someone to. I don't know, but she did know that he was murdered. When we were all, I mean, who, she hadn't been together for so long. And she got, she still got a good deal of money. She didn't mm-hmm. need any money, but she she was the person on his thing because they had been married and had kids mm-hmm. and he was such a drunk by the time he was with these other ladies that he was not fixing his policies but that's what happened to him and uh they never my grandparents offered a reward they never no one ever came forward with anything you know what i think what aunt caroline did it <laughs> but i mean yes aunt caroline you know what's interesting though i don't care and I don't care at all. And some of these people that go, like, oh, gosh, I watch all those shows like 48 mm-hmm. hours. And they're like, we're just so happy we can rest now that we know what happened to her. I, once the person's dead, what does it matter how? Well, I think in a case like your dad, what does it matter? Yeah, what does it matter? But I think in a case of somebody you loved, if, Maybe there, so. if there was foul play, I, I totally understand how somebody would want to. Maybe so. Yeah. You know, as I said, I didn't love him. Yeah. And I didn't feel anything but relief. And uh, he had a manly way to him. Like he's always would say, look at those old people. Who wants to be that? Sitting there, can't even order off the menu. They have nothing to talk about. I'm like, oh, like we're really talking to <laughs> Like yeah. we have a whole bunch. Yeah, Dad, you want to go home and rape me again? Yeah, like, yeah. Mm-hmm. We have a lot. Uh, so I feel like he died right before he turned 50. In a way, he got the death that he wanted. Like, how manly. I was murdered. You mm-hmm. know, back of the head, over the thing. Like, it just fit with everything else that was crass and awful about him. And I suppose there's some reason that he's that way, that he was that way. But I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how he came out that way. Because mm-hmm. I try to... His parents didn't seem sadistic. No. Yeah. I loved them. I don't know. I don't know how. You know, they they believe that uh, psychopathy is. Genet- what does that mean? Genetic. Psychopathy. Somebody who's a psychopath. It's oh, genetic. psychopathy. Yeah, they. I think they believe that. Um, genetic. Uh, people who are sociopaths that tends to be a little more nature. Than uh, a little more nurture uh, than nature, but psychopaths they believe that tends to be a little bit more nature than nurture. So that mean I could be that. Is that you what you're saying? Me or my kids could be that? Could be a sociopath or a psychopath. Yeah. I don't know which yeah. which was the winner. Read a book. There's a book. There's a book called uh, the oh, psych- Psychopath Next Door. Na- Next Door, the neighbor one. You always Read talk that. about that. And yeah. I will. Yeah. Will it remind me of my father? Do you think he would fit in that category? I think he would. I, as, in, a in one of, as a psychopath. As a psycho. Absolutely a psychopath because they tend to be very uh, financially successful. They can present themselves to the outside world. They tend to be. Um, uh, achieve a lot, but then uh, oftentimes uh, take huge risks and oftentimes wind up burning their lives uh, to to the ground because they get off on taking risks, whereas sociopaths tend to have a limited amount of empathy, um, but tend to be uh, less educated, more on the fringes of, of society. Oh, that's really interesting. According to this book. So Hitler was a psychopath. Yes. Right, because he... Yes. Okay, I see. And Manson would be considered a sociopath. Okay, wow. 
the two winners to pick from. <laughs> like, okay, where do I want to be? In my opinion, you know, yeah. again, I always say on the podcast, I'm, I'm In my, not yes. an expert. I'm a jackass that tells dick jokes. There you go. Who ch- Chicken. I never saw your chicken thing. I'm like, I should look up your chicken. What? what are you a cook? Oh, also, are uh, you like- it was it was a show called Dinner in a Movie. It was on TBS uh, from ninety five to twenty eleven. And wow, we that's would a cook. long time. It was a long time. We would show a movie, and then you would see us in the break cooking food themed around the movie we were showing. Oh. So the name of the dish would be some play on words about the movie we were showing, and we would crack jokes and and make recipes. Oh, that sounds. Fa- but are make- you also like you're gifted no. in the kitchen? No, no, you oh, just God, are no. gifted at jokes. Yes. Yes. Well, okay. theoretically. <laughs> no, you are. You are. Sometimes you'll say, "Oh, I had to take that. Tell. I just had to tell that joke, and you'll apologize." And I'm cracking up at the joke you oh, just good. told. Good. I I don't think you could. To me, you can never be dark enough. And you okay. want to hear my incest joke I say about my dad? Yeah. I have a lot of incest jokes about him, but I would say, you know, some fathers like to kiss their kids goodnight. <laughs> my dad went all the way. <laughs> I I. uh what are, what are the other ones? Well, you know, just, I mean, I don't, I'm, I'm now, I'm like concerned about, I don't want to be un, I, I feel like they're fine in a comedy club, but I just feel like I don't want to, I want to make anybody mad that I'm, I, uh, that I'm joking yeah, about you, the serious but, stuff. But it's your experience. You're joking about your experience. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, so, uh, well, you're a people pleaser. If you're not worried, I'm getting yeah. there. But I'm just, um, you know, like, like, okay. So when I heard Pearl tell about her son, like, this is a, a hoe, and 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 you know, she said your dick could fall off, you could get a disease, and that you know, I was, and someone that I knew they could, you know, get money. I was like, I got nothing. I would love a Susie bake oven. I would have loved ten bucks. It doesn't mean. I'm a hoe, so, but and still a nice gesture. If you're going to rape your child, not have a tip, you can leave. You got a, a horse. You got a horse. <laughs> I did get a horse. So, yeah. but that was from because I negotiated it. Nobody offered me a horse. That's I came right. in there and demanded a horse. Was so proud that I had that little bit uh, thing. But I also had the fact that there was a really cute girl on our street, and I had like a girl crush on her. Um, girls had girl questions. Like she was two years older and she was super cute. And I don't want to say her name because you're not supposed to say names. But anyway, this was again during the sixties when she was like, uh, like a teenager. She wore the tight bell bottoms and had like nail polish and she didn't wear shoes a lot, but her feet were dirty, but in a cool kind of way. And she had matching lipstick to her. There were older girls on my block that were like that. And I had the biggest crushes on them. There was two of them that were like five years older than me. And I just. Every They're, time they would walk by, I would just like memorizing every oh, ounce of them. Yeah, their and their long hair that was going long, down their long back. Long hair, yes. And they would have like their Bonnie belts, whatever mm-hmm. that thing is, and they'd smell kind of cool. Or they had pea coats, and you're just like, <gasps> and, and platform and it, shoes, platform shoes. So I would just be like, so I would always try to wonder, like, but I mean, this was a true thing. I made it to be a joke, but it was like. Why doesn't dad go to Jane's house? I know that, but anyway, uh, she's so much cuter than me. You know what I mean? She's like 14 with the body of a 16 year old. I'm like 11 with the body of a nothing. I've got nothing. And, and I thought maybe he, I mean, she's just so much cuter by anybody, any rapist standards. (laughs) 
why wouldn't he? Is he just too lazy to go to Jane's? And he's like, well, I'm already drunk, so I'm just going to fuck Andrew, pretend it's Jane. Is he, is he fantasizing about Jane while he's raping me? Am I not even? I just could never figure what he saw in me because I had glasses. I was thin. Uh, not too thin, but I was uh-huh. grew tall. You know, when you yeah. we, we have a lot of like growth spurts in our family where you're tall, beanpole like already. Mm-hmm. I was just like, you've got mom. And if you want a girl, what about Jane? Uh, least of all me. I'm not even the best in my class. Oh, I was not a Lolita uh, type person. I think it's the innocence. I think they find the innocence irresistible. I'll tell you one thing. Mm-hmm. For a long time, till I got some... so. In Scientology, got fixed of anorexia and drug addiction. Then I thought, yay, I'm all good. It took a while to handle this one. And this only cleared up like a while ago. I mixed up drama for love. Mm-hmm. So if you're a nice guy. Excitement for intimacy. Yes. And you like me, but you're you're not doing anything wrong. I'd be like, snooze fest. Something's I'm wrong. out of here. Yes. Like. Why would I go out with Paul? I mean, he doesn't put me down. He's not seeing other people. He's not speeding around with some anger issues. How boring. I mean, oh, it was like, it was like kryptonite, like niceness. So I then married people that had all these qualities and or went out with people that were wrong. And it wasn't until it took a while for me to really go, oh, well, maybe I have a problem because I always thought, oh, and then this guy, mm-hmm. you know, I never I took no responsibility for my bad relationships. And it wasn't until we focused in and started working on that, that I was able to like somebody that's nice and that's sane. Sanity was like, oh. I'd rather be share, and I always, you know, I was a comic on the road for a long. Did you know I was a comic? Did I? I, I, I did, yeah. Yeah, so I was a comic. I was all, you know, there's always for people who aren't comics, you're, you're one girl, and the rest are guys. They could not possibly have two girls in a show because they could, nobody could put up with that, <laughs> unless it's an all girl show. So it's yeah. either we're either going to all in, or you're here with. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went out with Bill Hicks. I went out. Oh uh, my god, he was so amazing. Amazing. It was one of the highlights of my life that he said, "You're funny." I was like, what? Oh, my God. I wish I had a tape recorder. Uh, And then I would travel with Bill Maher for a long time and blah, blah, blah. And Doug Stanhope, you know, Mm -hmm. who can can gross people out the most. And I saw pretty gross abortion jokes, just like, I'll go for it. And we used to, you know, I don't know if you ever did this as a comic where you're like... I'll walk five people. Oh, you walk oh, yeah, five yeah. people? I'll walk yeah. six people. I'm going to yeah. walk more people than you. Wait till I talk about sucking off a donkey. Doug would be yeah. like, oh, you, they won't even be here till you get to. <laughs> anyway. Um, My battery is starting to uh, oh, uh, oh, run low. We have to so go. We okay. have to go. Okay. Let's just do um, <gasps> Let's do a couple of fears and loves be, before we, uh, we wrap it up. Give me a. Uh, oh, my gosh. Okay. I fear that always fear that anybody that I love, if they're not calling me back or they're late or they're, you know, they're in a car accident. Yeah. You have that? Uh, I do. I do sometimes. They're in a oh, car accident. Or they're mad at me. Oh, yes. That's My usually the one I go to is I've said something terrible <laughs> and I've destroyed a friendship. Uh, I fear I will always be uh, somehow broken. Let's do a let's do a couple of loves. Oh, okay. As the battery's going, like bleak, yeah. bleak. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, I love that. I love podcasts so fucking much. I'm 
listen to every one of yours not everyone but I will and I listen to so many and I so think I love them more than TV I write TV but I listen to podcasts it's so informing how great is it they're so intimate a good podcast is so so intimate intimate. and so uncensored and just so it's I heard John Cleese uh, one time talk about what it was like when Monty Python was first given a show and they there hadn't really been much sketch satire yeah and he said it was like being released into a meadow of flowers that had never been picked and there was just so much to cover yes and i feel like with the birth of podcasts we're in that meadow of flowers we are in that meadow of flowers okay so you love podcasts too i love i love that one of my favorite eric clapton guitar solos it's on the uh, song uh crossroads the live version of crossroads he came in on uh the upbeat instead of the downbeat and it was a mistake for him he talks about that solo he's like yes i came in on the and it's one of my favorite solos that it was yeah came from a mistake and it was fantastic fantastic i love the show fresh off the boat because because it's funny but also we get to hear all the rap music of the 90s which Mm. they use they have nos and oh all the people that i love so much i love rap music but cool modi and these people that you're like where are they now i don't know but it just makes me nostalgic for video stores that we don't Mm. have anymore remember the the adult section Mm -hmm. my oldest (laughs) son used to sneak in there switch out like whatever you know dicks gone wild i don't know what they were and then put it in like a oh mom i'm gonna get mark twain i'm like okay and then i'd be returning them and they open it up to see and and i'd be like oh my god and look like i'm and be like my son he was always but i just love that show because i'm very nostalgic over the music of the 90s and i love it uh let's do one more love each okay one more love each Uh oh i gotta make a good one okay (laughs) <laughs> we're closing uh, our eyes and thinking like we each have a yeah, wishbone and we have yeah. to pull and make a wish. I love when somebody paints a picture of a moment from the 60s or 70s like you did with your mom and the way she was dressed with the oh. and and it's like getting in a time machine and watching a little movie. Oh yeah, that's cool. That's cool. I love the fact that there's adoption so that we get a chance, especially me, that I get a chance to raise a son that's African-American and pay back what Pearl did for me. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. Andrea, thank you so much. And if people, if people want to get a hold of you, how do they do that? Oh, uh, I live at no. <laughs> um, uh, well, I guess if do you think people would want to get hold of me, they can yeah. always email me at Andrea R. Abbott. You'll have my name spelled yes. Andrea R. Abbott at Gmail. And uh, if you want to see things about my family, I have stuff on Funny or Die about fucking my dad, my mom's last suicide, and I play her last suicide um, thing. <laughs> and then um, also Aunt Caroline. And if you want to find out the thing I did about getting in Scientology, that's on YouTube. Um, uh, Lauren put it on, and it's a, uh, just... There's the that. taboo tales of taboo you, tales, you taboo yes. tales, and uh, Abbott is spelled A B B A T E. Yeah, so you can watch my show, Young and Hungry, ABC Families, Wednesday night at eight o'clock. <laughs> thank you, Andrea. Okay, thank you, Paul. Many, many thanks to uh, to Andrea. Um, 
before I take it out with some surveys, I want to remind you guys there's a couple of different ways to support uh, the podcast. If you feel so inclined, you can go to our website, mentalpod.com, and make a uh, one-time PayPal donation or my favorite, a recurring monthly donation for as little as five bucks a month. It uh, may not seem like a lot to you, but it means the world to keeping this podcast going. And um, you can also shop uh, through our Amazon search portal. And um, if you just go to the, um, to do either of those, if you just click on the link on our, on our page, uh, support the show, you can, you can do uh, one of those things. Um, and if you shop through our Amazon search portal and do buy something at Amazon, uh, they'll give us a couple of nickels and it doesn't cost you anything. You can also support us by um, giving us a nice rating on iTunes and uh, writing something nice about the podcast or spreading the word uh, through social media. All those things uh, help. Uh, I have to share this with you guys. My wife and I were out at dinner and... Uh, the waiter brought our food, and I'm a terrible multitasker, so I have trouble uh, when I'm finishing up a conversation with somebody and addressing something else. So this guy puts our food down, and I'm just finishing up making a point with my wife, and I meant to say to the guy, thank you, but instead I went, bye-bye. <laughs> my wife, both my wife and this guy look at me like, what the fuck Okay, bye-bye. Back to your cage. You have you have served your purpose. We are done with you. Okay, bye-bye. Idiot. This is uh these are all struggle in a sentence. I got a couple of uh happy moments and I think maybe an awful moment in here. Um This is filled out by Saya. And about her anxiety, she writes, calling a restaurant to make reservations and hoping they don't pick up so I don't have to talk to anyone. About her sex addiction, realizing most of your friends have been inside you and know nothing about you. Wow, that is a heavy one. Snapshot from her life, as a teenager, I felt a lot of shame from having sex with my boyfriend. I wasn't ready at the time, but I didn't allow myself to feel uncomfortable around him. Once after sex, I went home, stripped, and wrote slut and whore all over my body with a washable marker. Then I cried in the shower. All good snapshots end with a good shower sob session and smeared Crayola. Um, I hope you've gone to a therapist and talked about that because um, I hope I have the feeling um, I could be wrong. But just putting together the sex addiction and the trauma of your first experiences with sex, um, that going to a support group for that or talking to a therapist uh, about it um, might be a really good place to feel less alone and, and to start to heal. Any comments to make the podcast better? Don't ever eat cashew butter before recording again. I can't remember what happened. Did I have, uh, I have a dry mouth from that? This is filled out by... Asti, and a snapshot from her life, I decided to surprise my boyfriend who loves Christmas. Oh, and she is a uh, sex crime victim. 
uh, I decided to surprise my boyfriend who loves Christmas by decorating our apartment while he's out at a support group. I go to the store to pick up some lights. It's freezing outside, the kind of cold it was the night after I was sexually abused on Christmas Eve. I see the same sky overhead, the same lights in my hands, the same stars shining above me. I cry all the way home, so angry that I can't even get past my PTSD for one night to make my boyfriend happy. I know he would support me if I let him, but the only one I can stand to see me cry is my cat, who curls up beside me and purrs into my side until my sobbing finally stops. Ah, sending you a hug. Any comments to make the podcast better? I really respect you as a person, but I cannot respect your love of the Blackhawks and the Kings, two of the most asshole teams in the NHL. Maybe you could pick a better team to love, like the Canucks. We may be assholes on the ice, but at the end of the day, we'll still say sorry and buy you a cup of coffee. Uh, I'm taking back my uh, sending you a hug, and I'm sending you a pitchfork. That's, that is... Actually, you know, I love the city of Vancouver, and, and I'm I'm hating the Vancouver Canucks less. Um, they're not as... Uh, hateful as they used to be. Uh, so, I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying. I still cast you to hell. This is filled out by a guy who calls himself H. Mains, and about his uh, ADD, he writes, constantly trying to recapture my train of thought. Relate. Raven writes about her anxiety like a rabbit being chased by an eagle. It is such a great one. Uh, And about her uh, auditory hallucinations, she writes, it makes me feel like I'm in a large shopping mall at Christmas Uh, 24-7. Wow. That that has got to be such a handful. This is filled out. Oh, this is a happy moment filled out by being tiny. And she writes, I was 17. I was on holidays in the Mediterranean with some of my best friends from high school, guys and girls. I just lost my virginity to one of the guys prior to the vacation. He was and still is the only person I've ever loved uh, since we were 13. On the boys last night before they went home, we sat in one of the guys and his family's apartment watching wrestling all night and laughing. I remember laughing so hard that my face hurt and my stomach cramped. I lay my head on the guy who I previously mentioned. Uh and on his lap and after a while he began to lightly stroke slash tickle my arm it was one of those moments where you wish you could just pause and stay there forever i was surrounded by some of the best friends i've ever had we were young and had no responsibilities it was right before that blurry line you cross into adulthood when everything becomes slightly tainted with pessimism and you realize everything isn't golden I'm still friends with the guy. We have since hooked up, but nothing has come of it, and I haven't told him the extent of my feelings. I probably never will. That was such a beautiful snapshot. I could feel, I could feel that, that, um, like that mild adrenaline, and it's a weird combination of like adrenaline and peace going through your body at the same time when you're when you're having physical contact with somebody that you are um, super attracted to at that at that age, and because I think so much of that age is spent feeling like you're in the wrong place at the wrong time, like you're missing out on a better 
party or you're not hanging out with the right group of people or you should have a different hobby or be better at something else. And I think even as adults, when we get those moments in our lives where we know that's where we're supposed to be in that moment, it does. You just want to freeze it. Thank you for that. That was beautiful. But I also cast you to hell. Hell is really empty. Uh, they, they expand it. And so I'm going to be tossing some of you uh, into hell throughout the show. Please don't take it personally. Uh, it's really just a matter of uh, we're trying to create more space for the people that are going to go to hell that are truly evil. Um, you guys are actually just very nice people, and I know that you won't put up a fight. And uh, we'll come, we'll we'll come back, and we'll get you eventually. Uh, it's going to be horrible. It's going to be really hot. Uh, the accommodations will not be nice. I'm not going to lie to you. Um, and you will find Satan to be a bit off-putting. He does not make a good first impression. All right. <laughs> and scene. This is filled out by Bumble. And about her depression, she writes, There's a major dump truck full of sadness parked on my chest. No amount of positivity in my life can get the truck to move. Mm. I've had that sadness. That is, oof. It's like a hollow it's like one of those Easter bunny chocolate things. You can just just feel like if somebody thumped your your chest, it would uh, it would almost echo. Oh, shut up, Paul. This is uh, filled out by a guy who calls himself Only Story, and about his bipolar, he writes: uh, Bipolar is me wishing I could always be exactly the person I am today, and you wishing I could be more like the person I was yesterday. That's a Hall of Fame one right there. Oh, I miss. I miss hypomania. God, I got so much shit done. I got so much shit done when I was hypomanic. <sighs> this is filled out by Deadwood, and she writes, um, uh, her issues are depression and anxiety, and snapshot from her life, she writes, everything is a hurdle to get over, whether it's brushing my teeth or getting dressed or preparing a meal. Life is about as stimulating as dishwasher, as dishwater. Gosh, if I could just get some enthusiasm for something. Oh, speak of the devil. I cast you to hell. <laughs> I was just saying that exact same thing. That feeling, that lack of enthusiasm. I think that is the worst part of depression. Because I don't feel sad. I don't really feel sad. It's just I feel numb and just flat. And I'm so tired of it. Ugh. I blame Herbert. This is filled out by Human Shaped Void about her depression. It feels like I'm treading water at the bottom of a deep well that I'll never be able to climb out of, and occasionally someone up at the surface notices me, but stops only long enough to say, hey, great job. Just keep doing that forever. <laughs> that is fantastic. Snapshot from her life. Getting pathetically exhausted in the middle of trying to write a cover letter to apply for a new job because the idea of continuing to have to go to work anywhere is overwhelming and I can't figure out how to convince someone else that I have value when I don't believe that right now. Oh, sending you some love. I'm with you. Thank God I love doing this. Thank God. I honestly think I would be suicidal if I had to go to a job that I hated when I feel like I do right now. 
this is, so what I'm saying is you guys supporting the show is the only thing that's keeping me alive. Do with that what you will. Treat it however you want. You want to you wanna venture away from the podcast? Know that there's going to be uh, consequences. Because I, I, I have actually have the NSA uh, spying on all of you. And if you report me, I will also cast you to hell. Hell, the, the hell I'm putting you in is actually it's a it's a gated community, it's a planned community. So all of the uh, the houses look alike, um, which to me would be hell living in one of those places. This is from a woman who calls herself "You Choose Because I Can't." About her anxiety, like a creature in a horror movie that you think is dead but will return in the sequel because these kinds of monsters never die. About her bulimia, sometimes the only reason I want to relapse is so I can go back into therapy because I miss my group members and the stability that place gave me. It was home. Find another support group. Find another support group. Man, if you if you dig the vibe in uh, support groups, oh, find one. Find one. That is a, uh, I can't stress that highly enough, about her love addiction. I hate everyone, but I love you. Oh, that's great. About her trichotillomania, the highest high. Can't stop till I take you out. Swallower of time. That's a great one. Snapshot from her life. I can't throw out recycling that has been sitting in my kitchen for weeks. Pay a bill on time. Hold a steady job. But I sure as hell can lay in bed for six hours fighting, trying to pull one tiny hair from my head. I can't set reasonable adult goals, but just one more hair is something I need to obtain. Good job, brain. Good job. Thank you for that. Oh, you guys are so good at it, at just capturing, capturing the heart of this shit. This is filled out by Dora Matt, and uh, I get it. Uh, she writes about her depression. Depression is a blindness and deafness to hope and beauty, but high res and max volume on goddamn nothing. So good. About her non-purging bulimia and a frantic rush to get as many cans of spinach into me as possible. Uh, it's healthy because it's only spinach, right? Then the intense stomach pains from being uh, too full make me retreat to bed and I can hide away from whatever I binged about never heard of people binging on vegetables but uh, about being a sex crime victim justice wasn't served and for all my efforts to report and heal I wish I just kept my mouth shut oh I just want to send you a hug I can't imagine I can't imagine how fucking painful that has to be uh, about her negative self-talk I oh, this is a good one I am my own internet bully I can't log out of my anti-social media sites in my head, and I always get push notifications from myself that I'm a piece of shit. I am with me everywhere, but against me in all those places. Oh, Hall of Fame. This is a happy moment filled out by Flora Adrenaline. And uh, she writes, I went running today. I ran for three and a half miles and I felt so free from all the anxiety that plagues me on a daily basis. All I could think was that less than two months ago, I was in a psychiatric hospital cheeking pills to try to save up an overdose. Look at me now. This is what it feels like to be alive. Fantastic. 
yet I cast you to hell. Because they need some pick-me-up. They need some pick-me-up down there. And like I said, there's a lot of space. And so you'll be able to run around and uh, perk everybody up. Hey, you got to go take one for the team. I can't even imagine how tiring this riff is. I'm getting tired of it. I can't imagine what it's like on your end. And I don't care. This is this might be the green tea talking. It is... Uh, the hell time is it? It's almost midnight. Oh yeah, somebody's watching Netflix. I got Netflix in my future. This was uh, this was also filled out. This is a struggle in a sentence filled out by Flora Adrenaline, and about uh, her having bipolar. She writes, "I have to watch what I eat, watch how much I sleep, swallow pills, and utilize an elaborate system of coping skills, all to have a quality of life that could be described as decent." I'm still not stable enough to work, and I live with my parents. It's fr- it's frustrating to work so hard and only get halfway well. But it does sound like when you go running, um, you really you really feel good. So keep doing that, and that's what I feel like if I don't exercise. I feel that uh, I feel good for about an hour and a half, maybe two hours after I exercise. Sometimes I don't even get the endorphins. Paul, stop talking about yourself. And then I threw myself to hell. This is filled out by the Queen of Putrescence. I think that means something that smells putrid, and I'm not sure. She writes about her depression. I go to work, and I have to be, quote, on. I have to be calm and appear happy. Then I get home and give in to the numbness that I have been fighting against all day about her eating disorder. I hate how it feels to be in my body, so I obsess over whether or not to starve myself again, but instead I eat everything nearby. Apparently a middle ground doesn't exist. Snapshot from her life. Laying in bed, feeling everything and nothing all at once. Never being able to answer the question. Is my anxiety causing my depression, or is my depression causing my anxiety? Surrounding myself with food and trash. Feeling like a dough baby and having no energy to be anything else. Sending you some love. This is filled out by Joey Kerr, and he writes about his depression. What a beautiful world we live in. I bet. (laughs) Fantastic. About his OCD, I have no desire to know how many measures of a song I've heard while in a store, but I know anyway. Um... Compulsive behaviors, burning. This cigarette helps me remember I can feel other kinds of pain, not just mental. Oh. About his having autism, he writes, uh, any comment is subject to translation because my autism keeps me from really knowing, and my depression ensures I believe the worst possible meaning of what was said. Sending you some love. This is filled out by Jim, uh, and in parentheses, homunculus. Um, he is a trans male and about his depression he writes uh, I don't even have the energy to tell you how tired I am about his ADD getting myself to focus on a task I don't care about is like getting a cat to walk a tightrope it can be done but only after years of effort and lots of hissing I want to bring hissing back I th- I don't know why we don't hiss more to show displeasure because it uh, it gets the point across about his anxiety, having an I-might-die panic attack on a plane, but being too worried about making other passengers uncomfortable to ask for help. 
about his anorexia. The less of me there is, the less people can see me. If I get small enough, maybe I'll finally just disappear. About being a sex crime victim. If my rapist had pulled a gun on me instead of handing me another beer, it wouldn't have been my fault. That's not true. About his sexual bias. My body is not public property, yet people feel entitled to know everything about my genitals because I'm trans. I'm not a human being. I'm a medical oddity. I can't imagine how how tiring and demeaning that must be to to be constantly asked that that question uh and yet before I started to become educated about um the trans community uh on this show I probably would have been one of those people that would have asked a stupid question like that uh, about his dermatillomania, I've picked my scalp so hard that I can feel my pulse in my hair. So, I bite my nails to stop me from picking. I remember how good it feels to chew my nails down to the beds. One of my fingers gets infected, so I stop chewing. Then, I remember how good it feels to pick my scalp. Snapshot from her life, or his life. Every day, someone calls me ma'am, or she, or otherwise remind, I like how I just did that. Every day someone calls me ma'am or she or otherwise reminds me that my body does not match my brain. Just being seen by other people makes me feel like a fraud. Sometimes I feel like I have more in common uh, with no one than I do with anyone. This is filled out by a woman who calls herself Monster Brains and about her depression. She writes, uh, upper middle class white girl is so stupid. She hates her idyllic life. Boo hoo. And you know, I just want to say to anybody that thinks that about themselves, that is, that is one of the easiest to believe and one of the most fucked things that, that people can do to themselves is to compare their material life to their emotional life and say that one should compensate for the other. And that is horseshit. It is horseshit. I cast you to hell. Now you like that? Yeah. Not, not actually hell. Hell would be upper middle class. <laughs> I've lived it. Actually, you know what hell would be to me would be one of those uh, society parties uh, that the billionaires go to in New York, like a, a party in the Hamptons. Oh my God, that would be, that would be absolute hell. This is a uh, struggle in a sentence filled out by our friend Imon, and uh, snapshot from her life. Uh, she writes, "When I was around five years old, I watched my mother have sex with a man. We were living." with my grandparents who must have been out of town because my mother and this guy were in their bed. It was morning and I was eating popcorn for some reason, probably because it was breakfast time. I will forever have images from this event burned into my brain and more and more certain images pop and more and more certain images pop up while I am being intimate with my husband. It disgusts me and turns me off and makes me feel shame. Why does my sexuality have to be affected by this? Why can't I enjoy my completely vanilla sex life with my husband without thinking of this random guy sucking on my mother's breasts? Ugh, so much second guessing just because my mother couldn't keep her legs closed or at least close the door to the bedroom. Uh, any suggestions uh, to make the podcast better? Uh, I would like to hear more uh, in relation uh, 
to grief. And um, I would suggest uh, listening to the episode with Lisa Richards, uh, who lost her uh, daughter to to suicide. Really, really a profound episode about grief. This is filled out by Summer, and she writes a snapshot from her life. Her, her issues are anger, depression, and anxiety. And um, she's 19, I believe. And uh, she writes, in high school, I was always alone, but I got good grades. Ending, I ended up uh, becoming so anxious, I stopped going to school because my body would puke and feel so much pain. I thought I was going to have to kill myself to end it. I now feel like I wasted my life and I'm currently afraid of not being able to go to college. I want to go to a good school far away, but I will never be able to get a scholarship or be able to afford it. I started going to a therapist. Uh, well, only saw her once because when she scheduled my second appointment, she forgot about me. And it never uh, got scheduled, so I went in, and the person at the window made me feel like a fucking idiot. I'm I'm afraid that this is a sign that no one can help me. To which I want to say, bullshit. Bullshit. We all experience things um, in our recovery that aren't comfortable, where we feel awkward, where we feel like maybe somebody gave us the cold shoulder, or uh, that is the mean part of your brain looking for some... Uh, some type of confirmation that you are a piece of shit and you are not. And you deserve better. You deserve recovery. So, get your ass to therapy or I'll throw you to hell. Not just hell. I'm going to throw you to the bowels of hell if you don't go to therapy. And there are no therapists down there, young lady. This is filled out by Murphy. And she writes about her anxiety, a desire to be friendly and social, accompanied by a crippling fear of being friendly and social. Fantastic. Uh, mild OCD. I often wonder why I need to stamp the steering wheel when I'm between lines or shadows in the road while I'm driving. That is, when I even realize that I'm doing it. Uh, I didn't care for my inflection on that last sentence. And uh, I want to cast myself to hell. Her general negative outlook, she writes, sometimes I just don't want to get out of bed because I don't think that anything good ever comes out of it. Oh my God, do I relate to that. I relate to that. Snapshot from her life, once I was sitting in a hotel room feeling so numb that I started banging my head against the desk, hoping that I would cause enough pain that I'd be able to cry and let something out. Oh, oh. Thank you for sharing that. This is filled out by a guy who calls himself homebody about his depression. I'll sleep on the floor because getting into bed is too exhausting. About his codependency. I need to qualify every statement to make sure that nobody knows I wasn't trying to be mean. Oh, I think so many of us relate to that one. Thank you for that. This is filled out by a woman who calls herself derailed about her depression. When you have to wear that lead apron during dental x-rays, but like all the time about her alcoholism and drug addiction. Cocaine is the best. I love it so much. Cocaine is the worst. I hate it so much. About her bulimia, a quiet alternative to screaming at the top of my lungs. I'd say try screaming at the top of your lungs. Um, snapshot from her life. So tired from a weekend or a Tuesday, let's get real, of partying that I need a high-backed chair to support my head at work. Thank you for that. Uh, this is filled out by a guy who calls himself God Damn It. 
and he writes about his uh, having bipolar 2, studying abroad where everyone else is getting to know the sights, sounds, and people of Europe while I'm getting to know my new bed. About alcoholism and drug addiction, does doing a line of heroin in your childhood bedroom while your family's eating dinner downstairs count as a loss of innocence? (laughs) Oh, that is fantastic. About being a sex crime victim, wanting to fuck everyone in sight, but as soon as I come, I'm overcome with guilt and it feels like the trauma is repeating itself. Oh, buddy. I'm so sorry. About his hypomania, cleaning your friend's apartment nonstop for four hours, singing and moving the whole time, wondering if I'm hypomanic. Oh... Snapshot from his life, I was riding on the bus back to campus after a week-long, emotionally draining family vacation. I hadn't been able to get out of bed for the last two days of the trip and was feeling really depressed when in the span of two minutes, a switch flipped and I felt almost euphoric. Best bus ride of my life. I got back to my apartment on campus and spent the next four days cleaning and exercising, the whole time freaking out strangers with my loud public humming and ear-to-ear grinning. And then finally, we have a happy moment filled out by Jessica, and she writes, Earlier this year, I went to WrestleMania. It sounds dumb, but I've been a fan of professional wrestling my whole life. I've also had social anxiety most of my life. I also live in Australia. Booking a trip to America by myself was a gamble. I didn't even know if I was brave enough to go through with it, but I did. Surprisingly, I felt fine. I was a little anxious to leave my hotel, but once I did, I felt good. Something about seeing so many people in wrestling shirts comforted me. Hey, other people like this thing I do? I didn't feel brave enough to start conversations with people, but a few people did with me. I met another Aussie. Some drunk guy called me cute. And the other people I talked to thought I was so cool for being there by myself. Being in a crowd of other fans from all around the world was the best. We were all yelling, screaming, chanting. It's something I'll never forget. So I booked a trip for next year's WrestleMania. In my everyday life, I struggled to leave the house to walk around my own neighborhood. But I went to America by myself. And I'm going again. And I'm so happy about it. Fantastic. Fantastic. God, I love when people get out of their comfort zone and take a chance and it it pays off. Uh, You know, our comfort zones can kill us. It can just make our lives so small and just bit by bit, you know, it, it just gets smaller and sadder and we don't even really see it. We don't even realize it's like quicksand. And, uh, Anyway, Jessica, thank you. That that just made me smile. I, I could picture you. You know, that's one of those surveys where you have just painted a perfect picture. I could just, I, I love that. I love when you guys do that. And uh, just know that if you're out there and you're, you're struggling, that you are so not alone. And uh, thanks for listening. And I cast you to the bowels of hell. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautiful. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way. Bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way. Bizarrely